0: crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Back up north, I'm sort of hopeful that I'll get in like maybe a couple days of skiing, but I'm also equally hopeful that I will get in zero days. So I guess it's a win-win. If right. I get to ski, great. If mm. I don't, that means it's warm enough that I can run outside. So either way.
1: Being open and adaptable with the environment.
0: That's what we're going for, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm excited to to get home and get back to our recording studio and all that. But equally exciting is, is the whole being on the road, adventuring. We just did a piece on things that we kind of took from our last little camping trip that we're going to try to take home with us things like spending more time outside limiting a bit of wi-fi Uh, so you can check that out over at consummateathlete.com and I mean camping is sort of the the name of the game when it comes to today's guest we have bikepacking extraordinaire Chris Panaski on
1: that's right. Yeah, we had a, a great chat there, sort of talking about all things bikepacking and training for bikepacking. Uh, it was sort of fun because Chris has been using one of our consummate athlete training plans. So it was good to get sort of his insight and, and his experience, you know, as someone who is bikepacking. It's, it's a unique discipline because so much of it is based on, as you say, camping or preparation in the outdoors, you know, nighttime experience, gut. You know, the training, you know, it matters. I think this is the neat thing with it is especially as people are trying to push the limits of bikepacking like Chris is or our our friend, uh, Brooke. Uh, Brooke Smith, who's you know set different records and built bikepacking routes as well. Um, it, it's sort of a, a cool emerging discipline, really.
0: Yeah, and you work with a couple of different clients who've either added bike packing in as part of their season, and then they're doing other racing, or bike packing has really become their main thing. I think the pandemic kind of grew the sport That's right. significantly but it does seem like people are sticking around it
1: well and it's this blurry line between gravel and and bikepacking i think and, and maybe mountain biking and bikepacking as well but you know at, at what point are you <laughs> bikepacking and at what time are point are you like you know gravel racing or going for these fastest known times and it's it's blurry i think what's you know between those two
0: it's true i've written a couple articles for canadian cycling about it and i'm sure they've gotten some hate mail because i've made the argument that you know bike touring and bike packing there's sort of this range of what counts as what uh and i think all of it counts as whatever the heck you want to call it (laughs) i I don't i I dislike any like purist here's the 20 rules you have to follow to call it x y or z Mm -hmm. so i mean you know i haven't done any bike packing where we've pitched a tent on the side of the road but i've done it where we've gone and stayed in hotels like along the way sure so you know it's all different kinds of degrees and i think. Pretty much everyone can find a, a fun way of getting into it. We have so many loops around us in Ontario where we have friends that, you know, do two or three day trips and have the best time. That's right. So, so
1: we'll put a few links in the show notes. Uh, we've had past episodes with Matt Cady, uh, who's built the the big BT700 loop that is, you know, quite popular in Ontario. Uh, Chris has a, a podcast we'll link to, and then he's also doing a big um, conference uh, summit if you will uh, in the ottawa region so right on the east uh, side of Ontario
0: yes and you were just on his podcast last week so we'll definitely link to that episode in the show notes if
1: yeah and, and so it's sort of coming from Chris as you know the one who knows most of the stuff that's important to bike packing uh, and you know when i'm on there it's more talking about the the training and what someone might consider you know when they are training for bike packing which again isn't maybe intuitive to uh those who have come into the sport from a touring background you know they weren't racing they were just going out and riding and so it's this this balance of you know can we get f- more fit for the task by doing something like intervals or or whatever right and we all most of us don't have time so it is that reality that you can't just be out just riding and bike touring all the time so there is this sort of need now we're you know, and I think it makes sense, you know, you want to be able to get through your trip without pain or discomfort or, you know, in a reasonable time, we all have some sort of deadline to get back. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of the, the the half with, uh, when I'm on his, but you know, it crosses over as well. So I think for bike packers, there's just a lot of, a lot of good content there.
0: I'm very curious when this is going to shift over to run packing, because that's one thing that hasn't really been super explored. And I'm saying this partially because DW is sort of, uh, being antagonistic at my feet here like he wants us to play with him and i'm about to take him out for a run in our dogger jogging stroller and it's just occurring to me that that stroller would actually be fantastic to push along with my camping gear in it so just saying this this might be a new thing kind okay. of gonna start the trend <laughs> but before we get into this episode with chris quick pause for a word from our sponsor athletic greens and ag1 so in case you haven't gotten the memo Athletic Greens is no longer just greens. It's a combination of 75 vitamins, minerals, kind of all the stuff you'd find in a traditional multivitamin, plus probiotics, prebiotics, greens, adaptogens, sort of all the good stuff you need in kind of a one-stop-shop solution that also tastes really, really good. So. Honestly, you know, we've been using it for over a year. We've been talking about it for over a year. It's one of my absolute favorite kind of additions to a daily routine. It saves you from having a cabinet full of supplements, which we've definitely had in the past. And it honestly is so travel friendly. So when we're on the road, like we've been in the past couple months, it's been really nice to have it around. So we, you know, don't have to really get super stressed about, oh, no, we're not getting this. We're not getting this. We're not getting this. It's just made life so, so easy.
1: That's right. And one thing we haven't spoke about, you know, we've been doing uh, these ads for a while here now on the show. And, and is that there's sort of sustainability and values that AG1 and Athletic Greens has. You know, they're uh, a climate neutral certified company. Uh, and then also, you know, I found really interesting in 2020, which was, you know, a, a, a tough year. Uh, they donated 1.2 million meals to kids. uh in that year alone so i mean pretty impressive as far as values for that for AG1
0: yeah it's been really cool to see different companies really come online with whether it's you know climate and sustainability and recyclability all that kind of stuff it's just really nice that these companies that are bo- good for you are now also trying to do good for the planet. So definitely respect that a lot.
1: That's right. And we love five star reviews here. We appreciate all the ones you've given for our That's podcast. True. Uh, and and <laughs> AG one actually has 7,000 plus five star reviews.
0: Yes, uh, we would like 7,000 <laughs> five-star reviews as well. So uh, if you haven't reviewed us or Athletic Greens, uh, just head over to either athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H, uh, or just ha- you know head to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Either one is deeply appreciated. Um, but anyway, if you do want to try out Athletic Greens, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs. And all you have to do is head over to athleticgreens.com backslash backslash molly h to take ownership of your health today again athleticgreens.com backslash molly h because consummate was too hard to spell
1: all right well with that said why don't we get into this episode with chris Panansky?
0: sounds good
1: and uh, just as we go into that i just want to make sure that we do link to you know if you want to find out more about the summit or his podcast that is the bikepackadventures.ca is the website and you can find of course the bikepackadventures podcast as well
0: Perfect. All right, let's get into it.
1: Why don't we get into this episode with Chris Panansky?
0: Sounds good.
1: And uh, just as we go into that, I just want to make sure that we do link to, you know, if you want to find out more about the summit or his podcast, that is the bikepackadventures.ca is the website. And you can find, of course, the Bike Pack Adventures podcast as well.
0: Perfect. All right, let's get into it. Uh,
2: let's say Eric and Jen, they're he's a retired teacher. Um, they've created the log driver's waltz here in Ontario, Quebec. And, you know, I wouldn't say they really toured the tour divide. Like they were pounding out huge days and and they're not 42, you know, like they're,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm not, I don't know how old they are, but probably late fifties, early sixties, they were doing amazing days, you know? Mm-hmm. And so getting from their experiences. And then I have another friend who's pre- presenting and he went bikepacking in Georgia where he did hours and hours of hike a bike. And, um, and then he uh, toured the Great Divide mountain bike route and you know keeping smaller days, 100 kilometer days and getting that experience, right So mm-hmm. yeah, a very varied group for sure. okay
1: So that's that um, I guess while we're on that that overall topic of what's going on in the Ottawa Chelsea region for uh, bikepacking then is, you know, then you also have your Grand Depart for this Canadian Shield ride. And that was, I had this written down, This is you, september you this, yeah, yeah, there you go. September. yeah,
2: September, I think it's September 9th, 9th, uh, 2023. Is one um, yeah, I decided to change it to the fall this year. So last year I had it, you know, there's a couple other big events here in this region, um, like the Butter Tart 700 in late June, right around the solstice. And then the, uh, Log Drivers Waltz last year was in August this year, they moved it to the end of July. And I was trying to figure out where I would put this last year. I stuck it right around Canada day, Canada day, just before independence day in the U S and it was a mistake. You know, it was too many people had too many things going on. Um, the participation levels weren't quite there, but although it was a great small event, cause I actually really got to know the three people that came. And, um, I figured for this year, I'm going to put it in September. I think, you know, kids are back in school. So if you're a father or a mother and you're trying to get away for, few days of biking, that's a perfect time because your partner can really pitch in those evenings and they don't have to worry about it during the day. And also it's cool at night. It's not boiling hot and it's not wicked hot during the day. It's, you know, just a nice temperature for riding. Um, yeah. There's no mosquitoes. That's also a really good thing in September. So lots cool. of, lots of good pros with uh, doing it in the fall.
1: And we'll link to that too, but that's, it's a, is this one, it's a thousand. Is that what the,
2: yeah. So there's three distances. I originally had just created some roots and, And then I realized I could stitch them together and kind of make an amazing bikepacking adventure that could really, you know, um, challenge anybody of any level. So I feel like it's a little bit more mountain bike oriented in the sense that I put in some ski hill trails and things like that, but, you know, definitely on those routes where there's that option, I tell you, you can, you can bypass this and ditch this area, you know, for your own safety. If you're not a, if you're not so handy on a mountain bike, Um, But yeah, there's a 400 kilometer 1000 and 1300 kilometer option. So if you're really looking to push yourself 1300 kilometers with I think 16 or 17,000 meters of
1: elevation gain. Mm. Uh, It's (laughs) a big one. Okay, well, let's get into then a bit of this training stuff. You know, yeah, I, so- you know I, I I and I, I work with you know busy people who you know generally want to do big things, and that can be gravel, you know, mountain bike stage race. But it strikes me that bike packing is is growing um, for a few reasons. I think the fact that you're not tied to someone else's date, unless you're going mm-hmm. to do one of these ground parts, you can leave on a Tuesday and, and come back on a Friday if you want. Um, and, and so I do think that it, it's like an interesting thing that people are starting to train for which almost seems like sacrilege you know in the you know for the touring yeah it, it's an interesting development I think so What what is your like do you feel like that's people are I don't even know how to phrase a question on this but do you think that this is more common now that people are are shifting even away from racing and doing bikepacking or, or what are you thinking where, where are we going in this bike yeah it's really 2023?
2: weird it's a it's a weird um yeah, it's a tough question because you know, for my own personal journey into bike packing, um, I was just riding gravel and, you know, I knew about the butter tart 700, it, which is starts uh, about an hour South of Toronto. And I was like, Oh, who would go ride 700 kilometers? But, you know, I was going out for rides that were like 150, 200 kilometers on the gravel bike. And then one day I decided to do this rail trail loop that we have, um, in Ontario and it's a 320 kilometer rail trail loop. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go try to do it in one day. And it was miserable weather. It was one degree Celsius outside. So that's like 30, no, it's like 34 degrees Fahrenheit. It was raining the whole day. It got below zero at night. Um, it it was, it was a horrible, horrible experience in that sense, but I did it in like 24 hours and a half, 24 and a half hours. I, I even had to sleep for a couple hours. Um, somehow manage that and, um, in an emergency bivy, which I don't know how I didn't get completely drenched. And at the end of that, I was like, oh, wow. You know, I could do a 320 kilometer ride, just 200 miles in one day. That's pretty cool. And so, yeah, then the uh, next thing I happened was I, I saw that this route had been done in, I think 86 hours. And I was like, I could do that way faster than 86 hours. Why, won't, why not try this? Like I enjoy pushing myself. I think maybe that's the, you know, the road cyclist in me, the triathlete, you know, you're pushing yourself to to the point of puking kind of thing. And so uh, being on a bike is, is happy time for me and pushing myself to to new limits, which uh, I hadn't really exper- experienced um, big time sleep depression, uh, deprivation at that point um, was a good one.
1: Now you got, so that was the BT 700 that you got yeah. the FKT. That was 2021. Yeah. That was, and that was 56 hours. Yeah. And then you went back in 2022 and this is always the tricky part with anything is now you have a, a ruler, right? And, and you've pushed your limits. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, now you have, Oh, well, I can improve this. So a lot of times that second one is, is a tricky. Yeah.
2: And, you, and you probably know lots about this event because you, you coach Brooke as well. And, uh and he, he, set the FKT and beat me. And, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was, a, it was an amazing experience. I, I mean, I was going in there with a couple niggles and like slight injuries that I wasn't quite confident I could do what I had hoped to do. I also felt that I was undertrained, but I knew that mental was a big part of it. And I thought, you know what, I, I've got a, i have got I could push through this, you know? Um, I think I was doing well until I lost my phone. And then that all just kind of played out in my head where, I decided that I didn't think I could do it anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And then it, it, it felt like there was no coming back from it. So maybe my my mind game wasn't there, but the physical was also causing me issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, we said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I think Molly actually said it. And it was, she DNF'd uh, one of the races she did on running this year in Quebec. And similar right like she had sort of a. it was more a a position or i I guess it was a time for the thing but Mm -hmm. she wasn't it wasn't a good day it was falling apart it was getting a little unsafe same as your event would Mm -hmm, right like mm -hmm. you're going into the darkness feeling a little you know mixed um so it just gets dangerous too and it's i think once you push your limits like at some point you you're going to push over and and it you just it's gonna you're gonna fail and so to push your limits you almost have to accept that that could happen right and it's it's an interesting thing because like <clears throat> bikepacking is you know
2: you're, you're going into the unknown a lot more than if you were riding across Canada on paved roads you know it's it's much more rough terrain you know prone to injury and you're putting yourself in that position by not sleeping and definitely at times being undernourished or underhydrated. Um, you know it happens and there's a lot of factors that can go wrong and you know one of the beautiful things of uh or one of the beautiful things in a course like that is that you can bail out you know if you feel that you're in that situation but also um yeah it's it's hard it's a really tough choice because you know that you're doing it for safety is the the real reason and but it's it's hard mentally to to give up and i've only ever given up one other time on a race and that was a a marathon in singapore and I got some really bad chafing early on. I think it was like eight kilometers in and by 10 K I was like, this is stupid. Why am I keep going? Like I was bleeding, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It is tricky. We had one, uh, Molly and I were going for, I guess it would be the supported FKT on, in, on the Killarney loop. It's a, a, like a hiking loop usually. And it's similar to the BT, like most it, they say seven to 10 days, but then of course, crazy people try and go and do, you know, one, one to two days. Yeah. Um, And same thing like 10 K in her knees, like, you know, it band, and it's like you know you're sort of at this like it's a loop where you're in the great wilderness for you know until you get back. Uh, so you sort of have to decide at some point like are you continuing the loop or are mm-hmm. you bailing? Uh, and this gets into like the first aid and the risk assessment. And it's not just a closed course, you know, looped eight hour relay or something where you just mm-hmm. get in your car and go home if you're, you know, or if you crash, yeah. this medical personnel there right away. And the good thing, I guess,
2: in that sense too, is like you know she was with you. And so there's two of you and you can make that decision together. And in a grand apart, like last year where I was, I mean, yeah, I could have kept going because even if I injured myself, somebody would come across me in the next 10 hours, you know? So yeah, chances of me dying are pretty slim, but do you really want to ruin your whole season of biking and everything over one, you know, really bad judgment, you know? So it's a tough one.
1: So we'll stay on the training. So you mentioned Brooke and, um, I put this to you just in our, the pre questions I sent you. Is it, it strikes me that there's sort of when I'm looking at the different whatever someone's doing, I always want to know sort of like who are you? Like what mm-hmm. have you what have you done? You're coming from road triathlon, so like you understand some stuff. Um, but you know, there's the other set of it strikes me. There's the more touring backcountry hikers who you know lighting a fire or first aid or. You know, just any mm-hmm. of these things. What do you eat all day when you're moving all day? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's sort of like people have these different skills, which, you know, in, we're thinking about the who's coming to your summit, you know, you're even a brand new person might be really, really good at some of these elements. And, and your sport is yeah. one that, you know, a tour de France person or someone like myself that just rides 90 minutes, you know, up and down on a closed loop, you know, with two tech zones, every 10 minutes we have, we see our mechanic, right? Um it, it, you know the engine is is a very small part, as you say. There's like the all the yeah. skills, but the mental piece is, is huge. So, I guess where when you came into this in 2021, which type of those, which side of the spectrum? I guess I sort of sold it to you, but which which side? Yeah. Like, did, did you have? Or are you in the middle? Like, did you have backcountry like camping experience? So, I I was actually in the army reserves for six years when my late
2: uh, or in what 2000 1999 to 2006, so seven or so years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I, I did a lot of infantry stuff, you know, lots of survival in the
1: woods, and you know, usually we had guns, but no real bullets. And um, yeah, but that's so, I mean yeah, I Being outside at night is like I just don't do it. Like if even just going out to yeah. walk the dog out around the house, I'm like, I ah, don't like darkness. I'm not going it's out. Still,
2: there's still moments like where it's beautiful, and there's moments where it creeps the living hell out of you. You know, like um, shortly after the BT seven hundred, I that later that summer actually, or maybe it was September. I went and raced the log driver's waltz, ITT, fully indiv- ind- independent time trial as well. And that night I was riding past a farm and I heard this dog, you know, it's heard me, it saw me and it started running and it had a really deep bark, <laughs> like really deep, you know, and all I could think of is like Cujo or something. Mm-hmm. And it was running and huffing and like the barking was getting closer. And, you know, I'm, I'm in full adrenaline mode, biking as fast and as hard as I can. I'm sure I'm losing it. But in in that mind, in that moment, you know, I probably went 15 minutes until I was completely bonked because it was like the real fight or flight syndrome. Right. And I chose to flight at that point because I couldn't even see the dog. And um, so I have those moments, you know, nighttime can be weird. Um,
1: Your mind can play tricks on you, especially if you're tired. Um, Yeah. Um, Do you have any tools like, I mean, whether specific to dogs or nighttime, like how do you, you know, you might be scared, but then do you have the tools like that? You, know, you haven't freaked out and you know phone to get someone to come get you like how do you deal with those you know um yeah i've just kept going
2: uh one time i thought i heard a bear and that was the same thing i couldn't look behind me to see it because the little red blinking light does not produce enough light and so i just started accelerating and going as fast as i can but no i don't carry anything that would help me um maybe i have a pocket knife
1: sometimes mm-hmm. um yeah very so, so you, what is it freighter, uh, flight or flight? Uh, um, yeah. yeah, there is no chance to fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, from there, so training, I'm wondering then, so we have fitness buckets. I'm just going through our little list yeah. here. Um, you sort of touch. I, I want to get onto some of these quicker hit things and I like ha- I keep writing them down and I'm, I'm holding on to them. So maybe I'll go on that. You mentioned lights then. So what, what is like the key setup? Do you think, you know, you're going to go and, and spend three days, like, what are you using for lights then? Sure. Yeah.
2: Um, before I jump into that, actually your last question, there was something I didn't really answer to that. And sure. that was, um, you know, like when you talk about, it doesn't matter what kind of engine you have, it's, just all the other aspects. They really do play into it, you know? And, and I think if you look at the tour divide and Sofian Sahili, like his average speed, there, there were riders out there that were just as fast average speed, but he just doesn't stop. You know, he sleeps a few hours a night. His, his, um, his rest stops at stores to buy food and get water and stuff are extremely, extremely tactical. He's in and he's out. I mean, of course, there's times where he vlogs and stuff and takes a little bit bigger break, but he would spend more time than anybody on the bike. And so he would finish. Faster and first, you know. So it really comes down to how you manage your time and manage your stopping time. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's why it's harder when you're with a friend because people pee twice as much. They stand in lines twice as much. You know, a lot more time is wasted if you're you're with a partner. When you're by yourself, you're actually faster.
1: You know? mm-hmm. I think so. I think that's how that saying goes, right? You go by yourself if you want to go quickly or something. Yeah, yeah I don't know I don't if that's actually how it goes, but
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, I I'm learning that, and it's it is an evolving process. I feel like I'm getting better at it. Um, it takes a lot, a lot of practice to figure out when to eat, when to drink, how much, how many bottles to carry, you know, like Brooke, I'll, I'll give that guy credit. He did something amazing. He, he realized that, you know, the first 200 kilometers of the log drive, uh, the Butter Tart 700 are very flat. So he carried his camel back and water bottles ready to go for the whole time. So he's doesn't have to stop enough energy for the full 200, maybe even 300 kilometers. Cause he knew that until until he got to the blue mountains, it was relatively okay. And then he could carry less water because of all the climbing. And that was a really smart tactical move. I kind of didn't think of that. You know, I had two bottles and I was like, you know, I'll just stop. It takes two minutes to fill up
1: water, but two minutes wasted riding is is like a kilometer ish. And it's funny. These, this is like, uh, almost like a pacing strategy and, and tactics where we do it a bit in mountain biking, xco where it's like one side of the course might be flatter or cyclocross is like this too mm-hmm. where you might change like even for tires or something like that too um but it's yeah these micro pacing strategies where mm-hmm. yeah you know and, and in the blue mountains as you say there might be more stopping you know the the convenience stores might be boom on the route and then you're you know yeah. two minutes to grab a mars bar and two things a gatorade or whatever and away you go yeah and yeah, so it's, it's really interesting and as you asked about lights um i
2: use a dynamo hub so Ooh. I've been very lucky um, to to have some great friends and sponsors and stuff that could give me cost pricing on stuff, and so I was able to build up some wheels that had dynamo hubs. And okay, well, that's... tell us
1: about this. I don't know if this, you know, again, some our communities... oh, yeah.
2: people, some people might not know. So, dynamo hub is uh, the front hub of your bike actually has a, I guess it's magnet. It's, it's it causes a little bit of resistance when you're riding, even if you're not using it. But the resistance. Um, charges like runs like a i guess through magnetism makes an electric circuit which can go up and charge and power devices <laughs> so my lights are run by dynamos i also have a little power pack type thing that hooks up to the dynamo so i can charge usb devices um yeah and even my back blinking light is through the dynamo so that's really convenient the downside is they're not always the best on mountain biking so if you're on a mountain biking style route like the bt700 has become more and more sections of off road and it becomes hard to climb a hill with a dynamo on when you're producing so little light. So you still kind of need a secondary light uh, that you can just flip on for those big climbs, so you have better vision and you don't hit that big rock that's going to stop you dead. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
2: Going downhill though, as soon as you start, it's super bright, like wicked spread of light. Oh, so the would it does it power it? I guess directly. So that yeah, it'll... powers directly from the dynamo to the light. Most of them. Some there are some brands out there that will power to the, the, whatever like, it's a converter like a, to the right. AC DC converter and then
1: go to your light. But. Okay. That's really, I, I think that might it. be new. I mean, that's, I knew what you meant when you said that, but I, it, it's, I'm going to say it's new to me uh that even that, that you would be using it, I guess.
2: Yeah. But I think for, for stuff, um I might stick to the dynamo more for the, the gravel ride ones. Like the log drivers will also be a perfect example because it's a lot of gravel sections where typically, You know, it's not like a tough, rough mountain bike climbing section. So I think the dynamo is really good there. The lights that is. Um, But for something like the BT, maybe having just a normal light is better and having the dynamo just running your, running your power, you know, so you can actually, you get better watt illumination with your light at all times through the night. And then you can just charge it via power bank. Gotcha. That's that's like little tactics like that, though. Things you got to figure out slowly, you know, it's really, it
1: is tough yeah and, and trade-offs right i guess with all of this is it's always a trade-off um you know in the strategies and tactics and the gear mm-hmm. you're carrying okay. absolutely um yeah now we're, we're through this all this training and and back and forth here um when we're thinking about gear then while we're on that um you you mentioned making roots so I wonder, you said ride with GPS is a good one for routes. Is there anything mm-hmm. else, you know, if you're designing, whether it's a training route or it's, you know, what else, what are the other tools? These are online tools, not so much like tech you're carrying, Yeah, yeah. But, but you could go into GPS as too. Uh, when we're navigating the skill of navigation is key for this. Like what, what mm-hmm. are the tools? Yeah, it's, it's Um, I mean, I use a Garmin 530.
2: It's not the best. I'm hoping to upgrade this year because I mean, when you're, if you're just doing normal bike touring or normal bike pack touring, it's not such a big deal. You know, if you leave your course slightly, the Garmin's are five 30 particularly um, is a little bit slow to re re get uh, like to, to come back onto the route, especially if you have it set to not redirect your route. Cause if you're racing a route, That's, you have to stay to the route. Yeah. Bad call. But it says Don't like off course recalculating and you know, it's not, but you come back to your course, but nothing's showing on your screen. So then you're pulling out your phone and mm. um, but the Garmin these garments and Wahoos and stuff really, really do make your life way better. I mean, there's a lot of routes you couldn't do without some kind of mapping software, you know, if you really do it with a paper so... map, you
1: would, you would be really, really hard up if you tried to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe that's like, that's like a new category of FKT. Maybe it's just like the,
2: the raw. <laughs> I've heard of some events that are wanting to go back to this, like, you know, non-technological era, um, mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm to, you know, saying no technology at all. Now you can use a phone. So one thing that's nice with ride with GPS is you can have a premium, premium account and that gives you access to download the maps and use them offline, but you don't even need to have a premium account. So like, for example, I have it. um, I have this uh, tourism package. So as part of bike pack adventures, ride was really great. They gave it to me instead of making me pay 500 us for it. And that's why I have this map so you can see all the different routes. But one of the beautiful things about the tourism package is you can create a club. And any route that's on my routes list, you can download um, as a club member and have access to turn-by-turn navigation, which is really, really kind of the key functions you would want. Um, and, you know, like Matt Katie also has a club. He has a similar touring package. And it's a really, really powerful tool that if you don't want to spend $100 a year U.S. or $80 a year U.S., on this, uh, on this premium membership, you can just join a club, and as long as they have the route that you want to ride,
1: you can now have access to some of the premium features. Okay. And do you do anything with uh, the other, like you know, your Strava like, heat maps com- or oh, anything like that? Um-
2: not too much. I mean, I feel I'm totally one of those. If it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. So everything goes to Strava, anyways. But, uh,
1: <laughs> and I guess the thing is, some of the stuff you're riding is potentially not like the popular gravel or mountain bike routes. You know, you're connecting stuff on, so yeah. it, might, it might not be when I'm exploring
2: use. and stuff. But yeah, so if you look at like, Log Drivers Waltz and Butter Tart 700 and um, which is now closer to 800 kilometers for those interested Um, or mine, the Canadian Shield like they're starting to get a little bit more on the heat maps,
1: but um, it definitely takes time and yeah, they're not the most popular for sure. Okay. Um, when when you're talking about a new device, I know some are using like E-Tracks and things like this. Is that what you would upgrade to? Or what are um, you thinking of next device?
2: I know some racers are using E-Tracks because they're battery powered. You can change the batteries. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, like they take double A's, I think. And they're they're quite good for what they do, but they're not like your smart devices like a Garmin or a Wahoo. Um, I'm thinking maybe would be I would be amazing would be the Garmin 1040 which just came out and it's solar powered so I think you can get an incredible amount of battery life out of it just with it when you're riding um, mm-hmm. yeah you still need to charge it but it's it delays the inevitable death of the battery right I
1: think so and that's the 530 is a smaller screen I think I have a 520 is yours mm-hmm. 530 It's about the same
2: t- size yeah it's this it's the model after the
1: 520 okay so I and think yours is maybe touch screen or not touch screen. Non, no 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 oh, okay screen. okay so. Yeah, I know the E-Trex is what Ryan Atkins, uh, do you know him? He said like the he's like the obstacle course racing uh champion mm-hmm. of maybe the world right now. Um, but also an avid cyclist. And he did, I did a rod last year and won that. I think they oh, he t- okay. he tied. Nice. So, but he's uh also gone for that Clarny loop and he's just like a beast of a man. Um, mm-hmm. but he said that was one of the mistakes he made earlier in some of these FKTs, was he had run it his watch actually died while running the one and, and he like got it, but like didn't get it as you say it's it's not on Strava so yeah uh so he switched to e-trex and especially for that I did a rod which is another level of exposure and extreme conditions but so I thought that was a good recommendation but yeah I I have one but I've never used it though I have
2: an older an older one it was just before the one like everybody uses the e-trex Thirty or something—I okay. forget what it is. The model mine's like the twenty-five.
1: I do think the um, new ones may also pair, like they paired a bit to uh, your devices. Maybe, it could maybe. be. I'm not sure. It could be a different one, but mm-hmm. but the the solar one. I saw Kabush, Jeff Kabush rode with that the other day, a big ride, and and he said like it was he was still at eighty percent battery, like twelve hours in a full navigate, like he yeah. was following a route, which is pretty good. So the five thirty um has a battery
2: saving function, which I really like, and it turns off the screen after. five seconds of inactivity and um you know when you're riding down the road for the next 25 kilometers you don't need the screen on and so i usually have it on battery saver mode unless i'm in a really wooded jungly section of a ride and then i'll i'll turn it off so that it just stays on and keeps my me sane me (laughs) sane um but it lasts for like 30 hours you know like it has a really good battery life um so i've always been impressed with that
1: Okay. Um, I had a question on here, this is back to training a little bit, but you know, for the more we'll call them, I call them tour de France, but I'll, I'll group myself in the, you know, the more the, the fitnessy people, mm-hmm. uh, with little, you know, scared of the dark people like myself. So what would you, we usually ask this question of our bikepacking guests is, is, you know, what would you suggest for someone starting out? You know, I, I have dreams of, of going for BT, you know, Period, or as an FKT, but sure, you know, baby steps. What would you say, like, to start get, moving myself to the middle of that spectrum? I decided, you know, army, you know, backcountry yeah. camping to Tour de France, you know, our spectrum. Well, how would you have me edge that
2: way? Yeah, I've always been kind of into the deep end of the pool, kind of kid. So maybe I'm not the best at answering this question. But <laughs> well, um,
1: I mean, you could have a different answer. You but, don't have to uh, say the but, same thing. But you does. know what?
2: Um, on that note, I mean, my wife and I we did uh, we did a trip last this past summer um, with the dog, the baby, sister in law, and it was going to be their first time. All kind of was I wouldn't really call it bikepacking, but it was kind of a tour down a long gravel, a uh, long rail trail, and we actually brought the camper along we have a 17 foot camper. And so on the back of the SUV and every day we would ride and then we would get to rest spots and I'd leave them to rest. And I would go back with my dog and bring the vehicle closer. And then we'd ride some more. And when it hit nighttime, we just camp for the night in a little comfort that we had, which was the camper and with a, you know, the baby was six months old. So seven months old, it's really nice to have a, a place to put the baby and change diapers and not doing it on the grass outside all the time. So it was a really good introduction way to them. Now, my sister-in-law has said, like, I want to go bikepacking with you. And like, what kind of distance could we do? What should we do? So there is a way to build up to it. I think um, my 10-year-old nephew wants to go on a trip with me next year. So I think we're going to do an overnighter, something not too long. So this is my recommendation. Maybe uh, rail trails are always good because they're not going to destroy your body. You know, so they're easy, uh, but they're still enjoyable um and then find a place to camp so we'll probably use a paid campsite just for that extra convenience for their first time and and then next day ride back to our start point and then as you build up and you get used to like setting up your tent at a paid campsite and you know you have porta potties and stuff then you can kind of move for move on to the next stage which would be let's try wild camping you know mm-hmm. um just camping in the forest and if you're really uncomfortable with going deep in the forest just find somebody who has some property like i have two and a half acres so if you want to come up to chelsea and you say hey can i camp in the woods behind your house sure you know yeah. let me know just send me a message and uh, we'll organize it and it's a great way because you're 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 close to some safety and conveniences because i mean you know they're everything that i have at my house you'll find in the forest like we have deer that come by wild turkeys bears um those are things that are the reality in Canada, um, North
1: America for that matter, Mm -hmm. maybe not in Florida, but, um, (laughs) and I like implicit in that or, you know, what you said too is maybe going with other people is probably a good first step, especially if you're scared of the dark, probably that's true there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have some redundancy in skills and maybe there's some teaching one way or the other, um, that can happen as well. Absolutely. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And I think that both those are, are great points. Um, I like that. That's a new answer. Sometimes the answers become are the same every time, but that's. Yeah. Good. And,
2: and part of that is figuring out what you need and what you don't need. Because a lot of times like bike packers carry less because you tend to like, you tend to spend more time in the woods and going up trails or up mountains. And, you know, if you're carrying saddlebags that are lo- fully loaded, you're, you're going to have a miserable time pushing a bike with four saddlebags on or even two. It's, it's it can be tough, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I know people that do it because they vlog and they travel the world and stuff, but they're doing this as a full-time thing, so time is not of the essence at all. um But right, you end up having a lot of kit you don't need. So things that you're like, oh, I didn't need four shirts with me. One was enough. I could just <laughs> wear it and be dirty, you know, or have two if you're going to be many days. I think when I cycled fifty-five hundred kilometers in the west of Canada, I had two shirts that I would wash in the river when one when I had a chance, and I would hang it on the bike while I'm riding to dry off, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe not the dust free version of cleaning, but it was all right. It was pretty effective. Same and the materials.
1: Yeah. I mean, even materials on that, like you must find, like, do you do wool uh, shirts and socks and stuff or what do you do? Um, Yeah, I
2: have a really nice, Um, I have one piece of kit that I really like, and it's a seven mesh uh, mountain biking shirt. So it's kind of like three quarter sleeve. Merino wool. Um, no, it's a merino. No, it's not. But it's super comfy. Like, mm-hmm. never causes like nipple chafe or anything like that. So that's <laughs> that's you know key. Yeah, um, yeah, there's nothing worse than wearing a bike jersey and you start getting the nipple chafe and you have no solution because your first aid kit is crap. And you're like, it's oh, one I of those. Yeah, <laughs> you, you
1: think it's like not a thing. And then when it happens to you, it's just debilitating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't usually have usually running, running a marathon, running a triathlon
2: section with you're holding your jersey away from your sh- chest. Yeah, you
1: know, it's the worst. <laughs> Runners tend to know what you're talking about. It takes a bit more for cycling, but it's like the right yeah. shirt. I think it must be those loose shirts, maybe, uh, you know, all day long um maybe is what happens maybe, but yeah. yeah you don't need it you got to be it do you, a, do you tape ahead. your nipples for for cycling too
2: no no but i usually have some band-aids with me just in case <laughs> yeah. um but then the issue is you you end up so you're sweaty and you have to like pause to dry air off so you can actually stick band-aids on so <laughs> it's, out airing um, out your
1: nipples there you go <laughs>
2: yeah but i haven't really had that issue too much with biking but there's been a couple times yeah all right, I think that... The more, the more important problem is chafing. And that's, uh, of course of the more obvious. It's way. Just, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a million arguments on that. Some people say you don't need padded shorts, just use a Brooks B 17 leather saddle or a cell anatomica or, you know, and then there's people who use those and then they, they try a padded short and they're like, Oh my God, why have I been letting myself suffer for all these years? You know, this is so much comfier. And I think it's just about, Cleanliness, um, you know, one of the things I read a lot, especially with things like the Iditarod and stuff is you have to take the time to clean your body. Um, Chafing is bacteria that is, you know, you're getting rubbing, but the bacteria is what causes it to get worse and worse and can cause infection. And so there's people that say, you know, every twice a day, you should stop and wet wipe yourself, you know, at least clean yourself, get off any bacteria and then apply some new cream and go from there. And I use a lot of chafing cream or like a chamois cream. Mm Um, so it's definitely something I carry with me. That's a weight penalty,
1: but I know some people that don't. So, yeah. And so much of these endurance events, I try and drive this home with clients is, you know, the, the completion, or at least the starting of them, you you need to get a bunch of those because the experience is like, if I was going to bet on someone, you know, for whether this is to finish the BT or set the FKT, it's, you want to know who has experience. Um, you know, someone like Brooke or yourself, like you, you, you did a lot, you screwed up a lot, you know, and and practiced on shorter and whatever. Right. But if you were going to bet on me going out and just rolling, maybe on fitness and just other experience, I would do. Okay. But Mm -hmm. there's that you, you're going to, you know, better than anyone, like as it gets dark and as you get to 12 hours and 13 hours and 14 hours, like, you know, okay, the old mountain bike guy is going to crumble here. (laughs) You know, it's going to be a little too. Yeah. But I think mountain bike plays a lot. And so I grew up biking like
2: every other kid. I'd like to think every other kid out of the city. So I wasn't a city boy, um, grew up on a lot on mountain bikes. I did some little races, but nothing like super of known. Like I, I raced for the, there was a military race in Trenton, Ontario, and my dad was military and I, I joined their team as the mountain bike section, you know? So it was, it was fun. And that was kind of like one of the only races I did as a young person, but I rocked it. I came second and I was, 15 years old you know mm-hmm. against some people who are real bikers and um so I've been always on a mountain bike in my younger years so I'm really confident on the mountain bike sections you know I ride my gravel bike like down single track like it's a mountain bike which is you know stupid but um <laughs> mm-hmm. it I, I'm very confident on it and I know other people who are racers like um was it Megan Hackman I think when she first started and she's an amazing she's gonna be the keynote speaker at the uh, the summit but She's not a mountain bike buff, you know? So she's like, yeah, there are sections where I walked my bike downhill because I'm like, this is crazy and I'm not going to ride it. Um, but she's still an amazing, powerful, powerful cyclist and very smart with her stop time. So she does exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, it really is anybody's sport. You could be a road biker like Lachlan Martin and he's,
1: crushing roots you know um and that's what i mean the the fitness does a lot like you especially that type of fitness and experience and his mindset is like he has a lot of the stuff the experience but yeah i I think what you would see what i mean by like when it gets 12 and 13 hours is you just don't you know you're not ready for the mental challenge you're not ready for the chafing or you didn't take the time to wipe wash you know or or this is the short or this is the light or so those are the things that i mean like experience you know we say complete before you compete Um, you know, and again, and I think we chatted about this the other day, uh, Accepted, but yeah.
2: And, and I think we chatted about this the other day. I said, you know, for me personally, that first 24 hours is the hard one. Like, as I get into those later parts of the first 24 hours is where I really notice my legs aching on climbs and stuff. You know, it's where my body hasn't just shut off that pain sensor yet. And my legs are sore, but I can still climb maybe not as fast as I was, but after those, pain sensors kind of disappear in day two, I feel like strong
1: again, and the climbs are easier. Um, but that sounds like experience weird. to me, right? Because you that could be just experience. Yeah. Well, you you at least can lie to yourself and say that you're not going to feel pain, or there's less pain now. But it's like, you've just gotten, as you say, you've probably gotten used to it. But I might get so scared at 13 hours that I'm getting tired and slowing down or or it hurts mm-hmm. that I quit. But then like you say, there might be like, that's a, true. There might be a peak <laughs> <laughs> yeah, off I love Yeah, I feel the
2: peak is it's kind of like it's kind of like um uh fasting you know like if people that have you ever done a long fast that sure, first yeah. I find that that 18 to 36 hours is really really hard it's it's exceptionally difficult uh you constantly feel hungry. But as soon as you get around that 30, 36 hours, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm really not hungry. I'm just happy to have a bottle of water, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I've done a couple that are like 75
1: hours and stuff. And similar maybe I found. that first day and a half, it's pretty good. The mental piece of that, I wonder, I've experienced this on bike, sorry, on backpacking. So walking, hiking. Mm -hmm. Um, On the third day, like, you know, your brain's busy with work or, you know, when is this day going to be over? When are we going to get to the campsite? And then I find that there's almost this, it just stops and you're just walking, you know, I guess it's meditative, it's Zen, whatever it Mm is, but you just, I wonder if that's part of it too is even when you're racing to try and get, you know, to the finish line for this certain amount of time for the FKT stuff. I wonder if your body and mind just accepts that, yes, you're not getting off. You're not going to go sit and watch TV. You're just going to pedal, you know?
2: Yeah. I don't have the luxury of going, Oh, when am I going to get to the campsite? But you really start to focus on that. It's hard to keep the end out of your mind Mm -hmm. and when the end is still so far away, it's really hard to stay motivated. So you have to look at like the small picture, you know, like you look at the next town where, you know, I I make a cue sheet <clears throat> and I know Brooke does too. Um, I make a cue sheet and save it as a background on my lock screen of my phone. So I don't even have to unlock my phone. I can just tap it a couple of times and up comes this cue sheet mm-hmm. and I can see what I need to see. And I say, okay, in 30 kilometers, there's a Tim Hortons, sweet. And that is my next goal. That's my goal for the next 30 K It's just like, come on, Tim Hortons. I'm going to crush a couple of apple fritters and probably grab a muffin to go and maybe a small coffee and, um, you know, or a cold brew in my bottle and, you know, just something like that. Some, whatever motivates you, uh, me, it's usually food and,
1: uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The chunking is probably the, the strategy there for sure. Um, mm-hmm. you know, little, little wins, little achievements,
2: it's hard at nighttime though, because everything's dark and you feel like you're making no progress. So like nights can be really long. And, and as I think we kind of alluded to before, like figuring out how to stay awake, like I'm, I'm really good until 2 AM or so. Then I, two, three, then all of a sudden I start the tired, the tiredness starts to hit me. You know, I start to get really sleepy and that's when I pop a couple of caffeine tabs, um, you know, pills and, and, that next 40 minutes or so it's hard to get through until they kick in. But so I think learning that, you know, okay, I know at two o'clock I'm going to start to get tired at one 30, I should take
1: those pills, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'll be,
2: I'll be good to go sooner than later. And. Yeah.
1: So maybe the, the pills are a good entrance into this. I, I wanted to get to this and, you know, we'll, we'll try and wrap up here. Soon. Drugs. <laughs> yeah. On the Kafka drugs. Um, do you think, you know, in gravel this last year, especially the unbound, I don't know if you just saw they just banned Arrow bars um at unbound oh, I didn't see that no yeah okay Yep. so there's now they're banning stuff and and you can't be too racy you can't be too arrow at the event so are um, you allowed um, to have
2: a loop handlebar you know like uh, a <laughs> redshift makes this a uh, gravel bar with a I, loop on it I, I think
1: I saw there was like questions towards that um yeah. so there's probably a, an amount of extension off or something I'm not sure I don't know Interesting. um so I guess my question to you is: Do you see bike packing? Do you or, or have you experienced, even Like, are are there purists, the people with the Brooks saddles, saying, you know, stop racing this and tying oh, yeah. it, and um, yeah. you know, you're ruining the spirit of bike packing or something? Like, what, what's your what's your thinking on this? Especially oh, someone yeah. who's mean... positioning themselves doing summits and and mm-hmm. the uh, the big bike pack packing adventure podcast. Like, what yeah. what's your view on it?
2: Yeah, there's definitely that, and I mean, there's there has. I've, I've heard it like I just rebranded the podcast to bike pack adventures. It used to be bike tour adventures, but I mainly because of the website for bike pack adventures and the podcast, it was too many social medias, too many websites. And I decided to put it all together. And I know that bike packing is the most popular thing. And it's also what I tend to do a lot more of these days. So I thought that that rebrand made sense. I still interview bike tours, you know, but even at that time when I originally started the podcast and I talked about. You know, riding the Mae Hong Son loop in northern Thailand and how I did it in five days of riding—it's 650 kilometers with I think 13,000 something meters. You know, it's it's a lot of climbing. People are like, "Why would you do it so fast? You're missing everything. You're not enjoying the culture. You're list." You know, people are really negative right away. And I was like, "Man, I still stop after about, you know, I ride hard for ten or so hours, and I still stop in a town. I get off my bike, I shower, and then I go for a walk in the village." And I eat out in the market where everybody is, you know, I'm still engaging. I'm still doing those things. Doesn't really change. I think. So that's bike touring. And when I rode Western Canada, I still had people say, how can you do hundred kilometers, 190 kilometers a day? You're not interacting with people. You're, you're missing the whole purpose. And I was like, no, my purpose was to ride a bike. That was my purpose as a cyclist. You know, that's the kind of my personality mm-hmm. said some other people, their purpose might be out there and meet as many people as they can then do that, you know, ride slower ride less, meet people. I mm-hmm. wanted to ride a bike. So it really comes down to what you want to do. And I think bike packing is no different, you know, like a lot of the times you're in the woods, you know, you know, you're not really around people anyways. I'm riding my bike. Even if I'm on aero bars, my head is up. I'm still looking around, you know, mm-hmm. um, if I come across another cyclist, I mean, BT 700, there was myself Brooks, this other guy named less. And Oh, another guy from Sudbury. I forget his name now, but we were more or less in each other's areas throughout that first 200 kilometers that day. You know, we'd come up side by side and we'd talk for a little bit. We still had interactions. We Are we there
1: rules about-, about drafting? Like, are you? You're so we didn't,
2: there- you're, you're allowed side by side. You're not allowed front to back. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and if somebody was too close on your wheel, you'd say, Hey, man, you got to back off a bit because you can't draft that close. Or I'd, if I noticed I was creeping up on somebody, I'd slow down. And
1: so it's sort of like Iron Man. Like it's not, you know, you just do the best you can, I guess. But yeah. Um, okay. So,
2: yeah. So, anyways, um, long story short, I think that, I, I mean, I've heard people say that, you know, by racing it, you're not enjoying it, you're not doing this, you're not waking up and making a coffee and standing outside your tent. So be it. You know, I can do that and go camping. I, I can yeah. still do it. I have other days of the year, you know,
1: what is, so you're doing unsupported FKTs, right? Is yeah. That, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Pretty, typically I think all bikepacking is still considered unsupported FKTs, but then now you're running into things like the Leo Wilcox debate where, you know, her, her partner was out with a film crew making a documentary. And because there was that interaction, people are saying that it doesn't count. And, you know, it's a, we're not a debate we're going to go into right now. I have my thoughts on it as well. Um, but I understand both sides. You know, I understand her side saying I'm an experienced bike packer and it's not really affecting me because I could pick up the phone and call her anytime anyways. And I understand the side that says, you know, there is an advantage. And I think maybe the one the only advantage I can really lay claim to there that I think is an advantage is there are times where you're going to be more careful when you're alone because you know, you can't just pull the plug and call it quits and say, Hey, come get me. I hurt myself or uh, I'm done. Where if you're friends or partners, or, you know, you have a crew out there, you can push yourself so much harder because you know, you have that safety net. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's the one area that's really the, probably the the main thing there.
1: Well, and you get into, like, I guess that's it, right. Is with supported. So, you know, even if you I guess if there's no supported, there's no supported. But even if Brooke's able to watch, say you and Brooke are riding and, and you're ahead and he can see where you're going, right? Then it's like, that's, you know, there's exactly. there's, ta- there's even tactics there with navigation too. So it, it's tricky. And it's like, on one hand, if we just didn't care and didn't time it, then it doesn't matter. But this is where it keeps escalating yeah. um, to, to what you're allowed to do and what you're, you know, finding these gray areas. And, and, and to what people are going to do, like are going to put themselves through or take to
2: make that happen. Right. Like mm-hmm. I think you alluded in our prior conversations to the state of <clears throat> state of gravel riding at the moment where people are, you know, doping and stuff just to get that win because maybe there's no blood testing yet. Maybe they have already started. I don't know in the yeah, world cup gravel stuff they have, I know. <laughs> um, but you know, bike packing, is that ever going to happen? Who's going to, going to be on a, a grand apart or an ITT start line to say, Hey, I need to put a little needle in your ear and take a blood sample. (laughs) Well, there has to be money usually for that.
1: Right. Exactly. it's, It's yeah. I mean, it's if 10, you know, you had three people who were pretty good. If this year there's 10, right. Then it's just, it keeps going. And that's part of with gravel. It's getting dangerous because there's 10 and 20 people in a group going very very fast on these high speed sections so it just gets competitive from that perspective now if there's no if there's no supported then some of the really wild stuff uh i guess doesn't happen um i asked matt katie you know if, if i show up with a car and you know two bikes that are different and full support like from the car the whole time or like a moto uh for supported how did he feel about that and he was like said it was probably fine if it was supported but to be careful (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think he's, um, you know, he,
2: I think he, it, we, it was an interesting conversation because when I uh, first set the um, FKT, I mean, only because I started a few days before the Grand Depart, just because my schedule didn't work that way. So I did an ITT instead of the Grand Depart. Um, It was beat a few days after me by Theo Kelsey. But, you know, there was another guy out there riding, but he skipped some of the really hard sections. So at first, Matt was like, you know, yeah, but he rode the route, and I said, yeah, but you know, I could, I could go and I could do a lot loop around the block and say I rode the route, but I just skipped most of it, you know. So, and and ultimately, yeah, you know, in the spirit of, and, and I know some people like the route designers. He never designed the route to have people going and setting records. He thought it would just be people out bikepacking. That was it. You know, Mm -hmm. just going and having a good relaxing time, riding seven, eight hundred kilometers with friends. (laughs) And he never predicted that that would happen. And but through a discussion we had, um, he's like, yeah, I guess people are going to come for that. So it has to be fair, you know, so every EFI, they say every effing inch. Mm -hmm. And um, so you should ride the whole route, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure if you went out there supported with a crew and stuff, you'd probably go and say, OK, well, that wasn't in the spirit of the FKT or the ITT style. So we're not going to give you the fastest known time, but we hope you had fun.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Fair. I mean, I guess you can do what you want. And in some ways it's it's safer, I guess. But I, it, it comes down in... to the root director, you know, whoever's the well. Root director, I guess and I thought, yeah, want. my my idea was that it would be like the breaking two, not quite to that level. Mind you, I'm not that inflated, <laughs> but uh, the, with the marathon, the running marathon, where I was like, I wonder how fast someone could go if, if you were, you know, just all of these things, like the best bike, never carrying stuff, you know, fuel at all times. I don't know. How, it would be wait.
2: interesting if you had a, like a TT bike for that first hundred kilometers. And then you had somebody there with a mountain
1: bike off the car and you jumped on it and rode that 5k of and trail. And I was thinking, so in breaking, back two, on the TT bike. <laughs> in breaking two, they had like a flying V of, of right. re- really fast, like 10k runners or marathon or like fast people who would come in for like 10k poles or whatever it was been a flying V. And then, so I was okay. So you're drafting even just people riding. It doesn't have to be a motorcycle or anything. But then also, they would have the route. So you'd have maybe every 100K people who know that section, just like the back of their hand. So you get into three stage and you're just going with someone who knows it back of their hand. I don't know. I think, what do you think? What do you think is possible? If if there was just, if someone had the fitness to ride for 24 hours, could they do it in 24?
2: 20 well this is 800 kilometers you'd have yeah you'd be going pretty quick and you know i think that no i don't think so i think you i think if in that perfect scenario you probably you know because you still need to stop to go to the toilet you'd still have to probably you don't necessarily need to sleep but if somebody's handing you bottles of water and food you don't really need to stop much um if you're
1: really willing to go full Ironman and piss yourself, I mean, that's your choice.
2: <laughs> I mean, uh, on
1: downhills, though, really, right? like, I mean, this is getting into Tour de France and everything else. Um, yeah, I don't know what's possible. I, I yeah. know that, you know, in these eight hour relays, someone like Adam Hill um, does, you know, a, a hundred. He does 24 miles. hour race, twenty-four he, hour
2: races and he's
1: powerful. He, yeah. he does a 100 miles off road with a fair bit of climbing, you know, at, at the eight hour. So yeah. I don't know you know, do you times that by three and are we close? And then that's all mountain biking. So Do you go faster for yeah. the, those 300 and- well, at the, the Hurton and Halliburton this year? He did nine loops of 27 kilometers.
2: So yeah, it's, it's a lot, a lot of distance, especially we and and our drafting, you know, and you're light yeah.
1: and I don't know, I don't know what's possible, but
2: yeah, so, you know. I think it probably 30 hours or something, you know, I mean, Brook did it in 48 and I think he, he, he set a really high bar there. He mm-hmm. has definitely yeah. set something to, to beat.
1: Okay. The last question I had for you today was, um, you know, in your training now, last year you did that eight hours of Hurton and Halliburton. It was an eight hour race, but you know, Mm -hmm. short, it's one of these things I say, a lot of times you step down a a distance as you're training, like speed, Uh, you know, marathoners do half marathons, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of their their speed. So do you think that that's, you know, if someone's looking at even, you know, just a quicker, you know, they don't have to be going for world records of bikepacking, but if someone's looking at a BT 700 or a cannonball or whatever, and they want mm-hmm. to go quick for them. Do you think something like these eight hours is, is good speed work, so to speak, or, or, you know, the B race, the C race getting ready. What do you think? i to say, I think, um,
2: long rides like that. Uh, I mean, you're the coach, so, but I think long rides like that don't really do much for your speed. I think, you know, what you have me doing now, intervals and stuff is really where you're going to build the strength and power to be able to put that speed out. I think long rides are good just to test your equipment, test your own mentality, your mindset, uh, your ability to set up a camp real quick at night, get an hour sleep, get up, tired, but pack up and go. I think those are the the things that are important about a a longer ride. So, you know, I think, yeah, one, a 300K ride. I did one long ride before I did the BT700 and Mm -hmm. that was the 300K rail trail ride. It wasn't even a challenging, tons of climbing, crazy ride. Uh, it was just one longer ride. That was a 24 hour period. I think after that, most of my rides were short. I didn't do intervals because I didn't have a coach and I, I wasn't really good at planning my own stuff. So I did like, you know, shorter 50, hundred, 150 K rides. Um, so I was mixing it up with a little bit faster, harder riding on the 50 Ks, 160, 150 K I'd be, you know, trying to set a Time, I don't remember now what it was, but I was just trying to trying to get it done in a in a relatively fast time, Mm -hmm. and um, so I think that's more important.
1: I love that you said that. Yeah, I love. Yeah. So so it sounds like you you almost think if you were so you know you can only do so many of these big rides. So I love that you said that. Like you have to, you can only train with the time you have. You're you have a, a youngster and you have a family and a job and all this, so you only have the time you have, and your body can only absorb. Like you just because you're a bike packer or something, you know, you can't do. (laughs) You can just do three-day rides every single day of the year. Mm -hmm. So I like that you said that. It's not always obvious. Uh, So you said your longest ride was one 300K ride. Is that what you said? Yeah, it was 320, I think, or 300, yeah. And I can see what you're saying, because I, I, I struggle sometimes with the eight hours too, you know, if people are getting ready for something like Leadville or Unbound or um, or something like this, this bike packing, and it's not quite the thing, right? It's a lapped race with your cooler there and your family's mm-hmm. there. And you're saying you might be better to even just go do a 24-hour or a pretty big ride where maybe you have to camp, you have to carry gear, because the gear, as we say, is so important and the button seat time is important.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, you know, on that note, though, Hurt and Halliburton's great because it is You know, you don't necessarily, you could be out there for eight hours, but you don't have to be trying to push six or seven or eight laps. You could say, I'm going to go out there for eight hours. And every two hours, I'm going to take off and do a 27 kilometer loop. And I'm going to push my hardest, you know? So, like, make it like sprints, 27 kilometer Mm -hmm. sprints. That's a, that could be one workout in your training seminar for the year, you know, to to push yourself on these four sprints that are 27 kilometers, which might take you an hour or slightly under or slightly over, depending who you are. Mm -hmm. But, you'll have like a 45 minute break to, to rest, you know, get a massage from your wife, whatever, or partner, husband, whoever, and then go do it again, you know, so that you, you can push yourself. And it's also a,
1: a really social atmosphere. So you will meet people along the way that, yeah, which then gets, you know, maybe the 24 hour would be a ride would be a good one for me to do before going for a BT, you know, FKT or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but maybe for someone like you or or someone who hasn't done a lot of racing let's say they're not even you but someone who hasn't done a lot of racing but maybe feels okay about the 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 backcountry camping mm-hmm. side of things maybe they should try some racing because you're going to get some of this more aggressive stuff I always say anything like sprints and racing and yeah. these short things it makes everything else seem like slow-mo like nothing in the BT is happening that fast right yeah
2: <laughs> and I love that feeling when you're racing and, and you see that person in front of you and it's like I'm gonna catch that guy yeah, girl, yeah. And I'm going to pass them. And, and then when you do, you feel pumped and then you you're pushing a little bit harder and you know, so it's, it's a motivating factor for
1: sure. Have you so. experienced that in bikepacking where you're sort of slow motion, you know, going by someone and like, okay, we'll see you, dude. And then- um, yeah, for sure. And, and I've also <laughs> been on
2: the receiving end of that. So last year when Brooke and a couple other guys started pulling away and I was like, oh, I just can't keep up with their pace, you know, like they're, they're really crushing it. And mm-hmm. I was like,
1: come back (laughs) right yeah which is hard there's a mental piece to that isn't there
2: yeah so i mean i it was it was a tough it was an interesting event because i'm very social and it was hard to to be at a grand apart where it's so social and they also had a they had a somebody making a documentary and he was at certain checkpoints and i was just using those times to like stop and fuel and so i'd have a snack and talk because i just like to talk and like i wasn't in a really braced mindset until at the end of the first day and or towards that night. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to keep pushing. They're not that far ahead. Um, but then I lost my phone. So yeah, yeah, it was an interesting event. Like I went there not feeling like racing, not feeling super prepared and, but then deciding partway into it that I would. And so, yeah, I think I got to go there with clear intentions and it'd be much
1: better. So this is one of our secrets with consummate athlete you plan the race. We call that race. If you're going to race. Um, yeah. And that's, it's pretty key. It's nerve wracking yeah. this time yeah. of the year to, to call Molly says calls this calling your shot. Uh, I think is race. If you're going to race, we register and we, you know, we train for it. Right. And it's, it, it, it yeah. seems obvious, but it, it's, you're, you'd be surprised the number of people who go one way or the other, they show up and they talk themselves out of it. Or they, they just, like you say, you show up and all of a sudden, <laughs> okay, I'm in it. Um, yeah. So
2: as a coach though, like <clears throat> how, how has, I mean, you have a few bike packers that you've been coaching and how has that been different for you from your normal job of coaching athletes?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back and forth. Like someone like Brooke is someone who I haven't worked with for a few years now. We we chat back and forth here and there and we try and have him on the podcast, but he's someone who's bit done the like cross country racing thing really, you know, and the strength training and the intervals and then got just super into as I say, the more of the, the camping, in the backcountry and that sort of thing and just did adventures and then sort of was like, oh, well, I can actually go pretty fast. I know how to do intervals and keep myself, mm-hmm. you know, pacing and all this stuff. So that's the one way that's been interesting is just seeing my athletes like almost have like second careers, uh, if you think about it like that, right? Um, but the other subset is the people who are trying to just get as fit as they can with the, you know, their busy lives and, and then coming yeah. in. And so it, it's interesting because there there's these two sides of the preparation. There's the the training, the fitness side, uh, trying to get them fit and strong and everything else. And then there's reminding and, and researching all this stuff we're talking about, the the gear and the, the roots and the grand parts and the food and all this. Mm-hmm. So, so it's been good. I would say it's almost like a second to, or a, a new lease on different disciplines and learning for me as well.
2: Yeah. And have you you've always been a biker of some sort, right? Biker, runner, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, What's been your predominant, um, you know, type of bike sport.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've loved mountain bike, like cross country or what we call, uh, cross country Olympic, uh, forever, but I've always, because I trained pretty seriously, um, in my twenties and was in Ontario a lot, I would do running. So I've run a lot and skied a lot. And, um, you know, i took kinesiology in school so i oh, I, just love, okay. yeah. I, I I love sports right so I, I love to move i'm a bit of a fidgeter so yeah I, I just love it all so that's our whole consummate athlete idea is that you know we want to have seasonality and the ability and, and expand our ability and our communities in all these different mm-hmm. sports so i love we have running friends and strength training friends and you know i, I endeavor to do get back into team sports hockey and, and baseball and that sort of stuff but uh you know you, you might have bikepacking friends and triathlon friends and all yeah. this so they're different groups right and i do think that that it spirals out into a really great life of where you have different people at different times and for different seasons and you know so i don't know if that answered your question but um, especially now with that biking coming into the picture too <laughs> yeah and they're all yeah. different right all these people you know there's some overlap in the venn diagrams but they're all different mm-hmm. characters and and you know different rides and different adventures so yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's, you know, bikepacking to me is just like, this is this really neat thing. I, I I see myself, I always wanted to, I've been waiting for my my older ages where I would start bike touring more and coasting. I always used to say, I can't wait till I can coast because uh, my coach growing up was always just, you know, no coasting, like always on the gas. Um, so I think that's, <laughs> I, I'm hesitant to go into FKTs with bikepacking because I think I'm more wired up here to just enjoy it and, and stop for coffee. Yeah. And, so I don't know, we might do it. it there's a bit of a I don't know. You
2: seem like the competitive guy. So you might actually, you know, go out there with the idea of like, I'm going to enjoy this and I'm going to stop at coffee shops. But then you'll be like, as you take your first sip, is, did that person
1: just pass? Me? Yeah, oh, I got to yeah. get back on the bike. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. We're going to do I, I want to do at least part of the no winter maintenance uh, this year. We'll see. That's all, all the roads I grew up riding. were on that no winter maintenance that oh, cool. uh, Matt Katie made. So. It's something that I'd love to. I wanted to do it the last two years, but we just haven't got around to to going mm-hmm. for it. Just with a couple of friends. Where are you guys it. living? We're in Collingwood, yeah. But I grew You're up in Collingwood. In, yeah, I grew up in Mansfield, so just south of there. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And I say that's like if anyone's looking for the hilliest and the best training for anything gravel, you know, Leadville, it's that Orangeville all the way up to Collingwood swath of gravel greatness, which is what the No Winter Maintenance, a big chunk of the BTs yeah. in there. Right a lot of like uh, hydro line trails too, and there's lots there just every road like we have airport road and, and there's good stuff on either side of them too but airport road and 124 go up to Collingwood basically up that towards Georgian Bay and and just everything in between there's about six lines of just gravel like it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter like I don't even need to give you a route if you just find those two roads on a map and go towards, between them somewhere right <laughs> <laughs> yeah go towards Georgian Bay um you'll you'll have a great ride um and that's so yeah so that's where we are oh that's wild and um
2: Yeah. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions as well. So I know that we, we talked about recently, we talked about strength training and even with the part of the coaching, a lot of it, you had me, you know, whether it's pull-ups, push-ups, squats, bodyweight squats, or with slightly weighted, um, you know, how important is to do this strength training in the off season? And is it more an age thing or is it just something
1: everybody should do? It's a good question. I think, you know, age is the reason I think a lot of us are getting interested in this. I, I, I predicted that this year we're going to see an even bigger push on on strength training uh, for these. Again, most of the clients when I speak about stuff, it's generally towards busy adults. Um, yeah. You know, so you know, if someone's a pro tour person listening to this, you know, <laughs> it may not it may not apply to them. You know, the elite uh, and the youngsters. But I think, you know, the idea is that the younger you get into strength training, the more proficient you're going to come become at it, you're going to build muscle, and then we want to carry that skill and that muscle into older age. Um, and that's just going to help metabolism, it's going to help, you know, what we call activities, of daily living, you know, can you get yourself to the toilet and back. Um, and then I think so that's sometimes the way we sell it, but some people don't like the aging cell on it. So for, our, you know, our bike packers, especially like you're depleting yourself hugely so i would say this is a year-round thing where it's very time efficient it's only 15 30 minutes maybe 60 Mm -hmm. if you're keen on it but i try and keep most people 15 to 30 minutes of just our key normal lifts your squats your pushes your pulls um and, and and we're just trying to make you you know be able to lift more weight so that when you're pushing a bike when your neck is you know your back you know your all this stuff hopefully won't go as quickly and you're a bit more resilient right um yeah I think it just, it makes a lot of sense. And I think I, I
2: guess as well, um, you know, when you're doing something really like the, the BT and you're pushing yourself for, I think I was 56 hours, I think I had burned like 27,000 calories, uh, according to, to Garmin. And, um, you know, at some point, if you're not working out and lifting and building some muscle mass, you, you are starting to burn, you're starting to consume some of your muscle during that activity. So by not working out and lifting you're you're going to put yourself back more right like the recovery times can take longer okay. because you now have to rebuild some muscle that's been yeah consumed by your body i guess yeah
1: i would say there's probably no way around again that's the depletion part is you're probably running into deficits no matter what you do so so there's probably a bit it sounds really bad that you're like consuming muscle i i think you know one off it's not a big <laughs> deal you're gonna get back on top of that but yeah I, I think because so much of those you know the training of cycling period and then also these endurance events are depleting um it does make a lot of sense to do strength training. And this is that idea. Even what you said about intervals, right? Is it's almost like polarizing it a bit. Like, you know, you're going to go ride for a long time at a, a relatively easy pace. Um, but we should also do really high intensity sprints and, mm-hmm. and maybe some of this other stuff so that we can increase that capacity. And I try and sell it to clients. You, you've do, done some of these tests where we test, you know, your what your sort of aerobic threshold might be or, or the all day pace, I call it that can only go so high if, if your threshold and your sprint mm-hmm. and your, you know, your max deadlift, if they're not very high, you know, you're lifting 10 pounds off the ground, you're, you know, just your baby off the ground. Yeah. um You know, you can only go so fast all day. And so if you want to go faster all day, we want to bring up those other, other uh, capacities, if you will, you know, if you can deadlift twice your body weight, you know, you can lift a fair watt. So pedaling at these little tiny wattages, isn't a big deal, but if that's max for you, a 10 pound deadlift, then hopefully that makes sense, right? That those thresholds, you know, they they sort of influence each other. Yeah. And I, I feel like because,
2: you know, when COVID came, I stopped going to the gym because the gym's all closed down. And so I definitely, I lost a lot of upper body strength with, which is not necessarily important if you're a road biker, but when you're a bike packer, like you said, pushing a bike up a mountain, all of a sudden you realize like, Oh man, I need some strength. So when it came time to do push-ups again, I hadn't done push-ups in a couple of years. I was like, okay, I'm on my knees. I would elongate myself so I'm as long as possible. And yeah. so I'm doing my push-ups on my knees and felt like a chump, but hey, that's okay. Like I had to start over from scratch. Yep. Same with pull-ups. Like the first, uh, first time I jumped on the pull-up bar was like two or three. So now it's six or seven, you know? Um, I'm not an overly strong upper body guy in that sense. I have a good grip strength. I can carry stuff, but when it comes to like shoulder
1: areas and chest, definitely lacking. And mm-hmm. I think
2: that it's been hitting the right place. And so, you know?
1: yeah. And so, what we're hoping, you know, again, specific to your goals, is that when you're trying to hold your body up, and you know, there's bumpy roads and this this sort of thing, is if you can do say 10 pull-ups that or 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 20 push-ups or whatever the number is, it doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. y- you can do more than you can do now, or or you could do in the past. Um, we hope that you're gonna. F- stay together longer because your body can hold that load. You holding your body weight up when you can do, you know, uh, 20, 20 push-ups or a body weight mm-hmm. bench press, or again, 10 pull-ups, it's just not as big a load. So you're, it's not stressing your system. Whereas if you can, you can't, you know, you know, hold a plank, say, then if you want to try and hold your body up in a plank on your bicycle, you know, for this long arrow bar or not, you're going to have yeah. some, some problems eventually, right? Like this. I think that makes some logical mecha- mechanistic sense, So you actually brought up a good
2: one. One thing I struggle with, not necessarily planks, but side planks. Side planks, um, I have very soft ankles. Mm -hmm. So when I do a side plank, I feel like my bottom foot just kind of buckles down to the floor. And it's like my ankles laying on the ground. I can't support it. And then I also get some issues up in the side. And what would be a solution? Like I've been using one knee kind of extended sure. knee um.
1: yeah so there's a bunch there that it's funny cyclists don't move side to side very well so you're just de- no. you're, you're describing sort of side to side muscles so i would say you know that's great you know do those things um i, I would say no ego with the knee planks or knee side planks you know that where we're on our bottom knee and you can do leg raises from that, i do the leg raises yeah which is great i also love the the clamshells and the i call it the jane fonda so every friday we do uh yoga with clients and i often include the jane fonda and most people know what i mean by that but you know, the, on the people knee main. with the knee going up. You're just laying sort of, you know, in a casual pose on your side, body's on the ground, and you're just gonna raise the top leg basically, uh, really pushing from that hip. So the, sort of that side pocket area, and that's that those side glutes, the, the glute medius and all those little side of your hip muscles, um, are, should start burning in that Jane uh, Fonda.
2: Okay. I was <laughs> thinking it made me think when you the, the pose is like I'm thinking like
1: Richard Simmons. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I mean, he probably did some too, but his were a little more spastic, but yeah, he (laughs) probably was in that exact same pose. Um, so yeah, that, that would be ones to try. You know, if some people just don't like side panics, my elbows are so bashed up from crashing and bashing into trees. So I don't like doing it very much on my elbow. I can pad it, but a lot of times I'll do it off of my hand for a bit of variation or I'll do the Jane Fonda, but you can also, I, I hesitate to have people on the ground too much. So I also like, you know, the band sideways walking is very similar where you put bands around your knees or ankle and you walk mm-hmm. sort of sideways. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, pretty similar exercise. And you could debate, you know, now we're on our feet. So it's a little bit more, you know, practical from that perspective. Um, the other one. So, you know, ankles, that's a whole other thing, but let's focus on the, the hip and the moving side to side. And then that the weighted walks. So, you know, holding your heaviest dumbbell in one hand and then suitcase walk down and back in your, okay. your basement that's also going to work the low back and that's going to work the side of those hips. And so we can do farmer's carry, which is two hands. You can do mm-hmm. suitcase carry as one hand you can do uh, like, what is this one called? But you can put like the weights over your head, if they're, especially if they're just lighter weights, and that'll add a bunch more core work in there. So okay, that's something. Yeah. Cause I've been insane. kind of skipping that workout because I just didn't have something at hand to do
2: it with um, yeah, my it can heaviest be weight is only 20 pounds and it feels pretty lacking.
1: Yeah. So putting it overhead can help there on your shoulder or, or really hugging like a bag of salt or a bag of sand to your chest, you know, or a backpack with all your weights. I'll go to the Canadian tire and get an extra bag
2: of um, softener salt.
1: It's, it's one of those ones It does get skipped often, but it's one of those ones that just, it hits a lot of stuff. And and you can, some people will say, well, I don't have much room, but you can march on the spot and really hold your knee and, and pause for like one, two, three, and then step and then hold for one, two, three. And, it, it just, it covers a lot of stuff. So those weighted walks are another spot where you're going to hit, you know, okay. side to side. Yeah. Cause I'm getting back to work
2: next week for the first time in a long time. Parental leave is officially over. Yep. And, um, so I was thinking about getting a gym membership either at the local community center sure. or at like an anytime fitness and just try to get in there for that 15 to 30 minutes before I go to work.
1: Yeah and you'll be you'll be behind the the New Year's rush there. Everyone'll be done their two weeks in the gym so you can start off that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They'll be looking for it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's you know when we're selling this to cyclists, it's often they think they're wasting their time. So it does drop off in season, but it's it's one of those things especially for busy adults. It, it's one of the most time effective things as far as the benefits you're going to get from it, yeah. you know, the it's pretty it, the weather doesn't matter um, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Don't sometimes we'll, we'll load up something off a YouTube or, or a thing and it'll be an hour, an hour and a half. It doesn't, we don't want long. We just want to work on whatever heavy is Mm -hmm. for us. So for you, you know, a set of two by or three by three pull-ups would probably be a great workout with a bit of squatting and, and you could probably be done for the day. Um, yeah, I think some squats or like some, um, uh, weighted lunges, so just lunges. lunges and lunges, you know, the one leg stuff is nicer if you, you don't have a lot of weight, especially because then you're loading up individual, mm-hmm. you know, you're one side and then the other side. So you're increasing the load. So that's anything works. I always say, get name two exercises for me and that's your workout for the next couple of weeks and you'll, you'll see improvement. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So what else should we talk about? Um, from a
2: training perspective as well, um,
1: yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not it, sure it is winter. It's, so much,
2: it's, it's tough. Yeah. We haven't talked too much. It's, it's been about me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> what, uh, <clears throat> you know, it is winter and it's, it's hard to, to find the time to, I mean, it's hard to get on the bike. Otherwise you're indoors. Uh, a lot of the times so I do have a fat bike, but it's kind of just wet and gross outside these days. And, yes. um, so what, what would be the things I should focus on? Like, how do you, how do you develop a plan that helps athletes throughout the winter? And what do you kind of focus on? Is it more of the, <laughs> strength building or
1: yeah, I mean, I, we started with that question of who are you and what are you trying to do? Right. Where we're, we're looking at, you know, if, if you're someone coming from the tour to France and you need to learn how to bike pack, you know, this, this might be, you know, uh, your winter for uh, winter camping and, and, you know, some of these ski, the big ski marathons you have out, mm-hmm. uh, towards Gatineau. Um, you know, that, that might be, you know, where we go, but a lot of my clients are going to use all the things you're talking about. They're going to try and cross train on the weekend, if they can get to the skiing or the fat biking or the hockey or the whatever. Uh, and then they're going to use an indoor trainer a bit as well. Um, and then as I say, this is the year, I think strength training is going (laughs) to be bigger in, in, at least in cycling. Uh, so we're doing more strength training that a lot of people are at home now. Uh, you know, thanks to the pandemic, they've picked up, picked up a couple more weights at home and a pull-up bar for the door and away they go. So, that's, that's that. I don't know if I answered your question about how we would build the plan, but that's, you know, for the busy people, we're just trying to gradually increase that load over the the week right the the limiter for most people is they have about eight hours and and they can't you know just do that logical progression or that linear progression of mm-hmm. eight eight 10, 12, and then 10, 12, 14. and then you know like we might read in a book so we're trying to just do what we can and, and periodically maybe get out on that longer weekend ride which is what i would have for you right is especially for the bike packers mm-hmm. i try and always include at least once a month something that's like a big adventure and you might go do a big ski or a big fat bike yeah. or a combination of everything you have or who knows
2: yeah it's been um you know the big ride has always been i i typically got them done but it's been hard to you gotta wiggle wiggle it around your life you know so if my wife had plans for us on the saturday then it'd get pushed to sunday and and then my recovery ride sunday or on monday i would instead of just a day off i might do a slight a smaller recovery ride or something you know just trying to figure out a way to make it all work Mm -hmm. i think you had this really great 80 percent Aim for eighty percent.
1: If you can get eighty percent of everything done, you're you're kind of. That's right. That's one of our three tenets. Yeah. So eighty percent is a passing grade, which is one I, I realized in school. I went, you know, again to university, and it just it struck me at some point. I was glad it did. Was just the same papers, the piece same the same piece of paper at the end of this, whether I get a hundred or eighty. So it's just you know, and, and I always say eighty. A lot of people are like ah. you know, especially the the folks I work with are overachievers. You know, these Type A's who yeah. have done really well for themselves in in work, especially um often in sport too and so it's it's really push they push back but it, it's so important to long-term consistency to any of these big events like it's just not going to go perfect and you're going to give up and you're going to get frustrated so 80 percent is a passing grade um I, I can go through all the tenants if you want go for it yeah yeah so 90 percent. so it's 80 90 100 so 90 percent. so 90 percent of life is showing up so again, you might have, you might not be a five hour adventure that I had in your calendar, but if you do two hours on the trainer, that's a bit of an adventure. And yeah. you know, there you go. You carry on with the day, right? We, we live to fight another day. 90% of life is showing up. So it's just 10 minutes of strength training. And that's, we just keep moving. We do what we can. Um, and then the last one is a hundred percent. So much of the training process is spent purposefully not going a hundred percent. So that's, not doing suffer fest intervals and vomiting very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not racing every day, not straving every day. Uh, also not pushing ourselves as far as the time we have in the day. So again, you you maybe could have done five hours on that day your, your family was doing stuff. You could have got up at three in the morning and, and ridden till eight. I've seen this stuff. Yeah, I know but, people have done that too. Yeah. Right, right. Because it was on the plan or because you have to, because the only way you could ever finish the BT700 is if you ride for five hours, right? And we get so tied to these numbers. But I think the key is to not be, we call this leaving slack is you just can't be at 100% of capacity. Yeah. You know, maybe once or twice a year, we push, you know, right before the big race. For some people, we might push to that razor's edge of elite performance, of elite, like everything you can handle. But we want to stay back from it because we know there's going to be other stuff coming into our company. Yeah. And I felt like
2: I felt at first, you know, when I, when I was looking for a coach and, you know, I definitely am a busy person. So I think something like what you kind of planned for me works really well. Um, But I also felt like in, in some ways that, Hey, if I'm not really putting in all those hours, am I actually going to get to that level I want? But I guess upon reflection, to some degree, I thought, you know, like, for example, I'll use Brooke, Brooke had been working with you for a while. And I mean, he crushed the FKT, he put it to a bar where it would be tough to beat it. I mean, somebody will at some point, maybe it'll be me, but it's going to take time and it's going to take effort, excuse me. But I think, um, you know, most people don't have a coach. So just even having a coach where I'm working eight hours a week or, you know, with some big adventures, so eight to what, like say eight to 12 or eight to 15 hours a week, depending Mm -hmm. as we Mm -hmm. build up through the weeks.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends if you do a 12 hour ride on the weekend or not. That many (laughs) hours
2: ahead, that much training ahead of the average Joe, right? Or even the average racer. And most Mm -hmm. people don't have a
1: coach. Most people look at- Well, we know, yeah, for your, you know, if you were doing the Tour de France or something like this, then, you know, we know it's more clear- where, how the fitness, you know, the goes into that. And when I say fitness, you know, I I try and expand fit for the task, right. Where you you're to be fit for the task. Um, you have to be very good at a lot of things, you know, the experience, the gear, Mm -hmm. the, the nutrition, the root finding, whereas, you know, someone in the Tour de France or, you know, something like really narrow, like something like track cycling. I don't want to, you know, these sports have lots of different elements and tactics in them too. Right. But it's, a. you know, maybe Zwift racing is our best one. Maybe no one will argue with me on that. Like it's a bit more clear what the, you know, the engine requirements are. Um, so that's the cool thing for you is that you can get better in so many ways, you know, a little lighter here on your bike, mm-hmm. a little better, you know, your E trex maybe it's going to be the new savior in your navigation, who knows, <laughs> who knows? um, you know, or, or, you say a different, you know, fueling strategy, you know, there's so many different things that, you know, that can make you faster. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's the thing with these, these short periods is we're just trying to keep you consistent and let that fitness and that health improve, right? You said you went into last year, a little undertrained. And a little niggle. Probably so, way undertrained, actually. So if I just, we can just
2: <clears throat> but I decided last base. second I'm going anyways. I'm I'm doing it. I'm I'm not, I am i was not working just the way my life was at the time. Yep. I can let the dog out. Go. go on, indigo. Um, I wasn't working at the moment. Um, you know, I was home. There was somebody to be here with my wife and the baby. So it kind of was like, I'm gonna go do this. And even though I know I probably that's a lot of money, you know, a lot of driving down there and buying all that food and stuff, you know, it's still a big investment and probably I should have not, but I wanted to go to a grand apart. I wanted to be part of that, you know? And, um, so yeah, in, in as a, as an athlete, I should have known and judged the situation, but I, I chose to go do it anyways. And even knowing I wasn't in the, the right body shape or, you know, fitness shape had some w-
1: little injuries that were bothering me.
2: Oh, it's interesting i don't know i don't know why i decided to go in the end
1: but it was yeah fun. so uh, when you're looking at is it, just can you be a little fitter you know and i say you know whatever that is a threshold test or you know just you can ride a three-hour ride and, and it's a little faster than it was so yeah. you're, you're more fit for cycling right your physiology is better and then from a health perspective can we take care of some of those niggles so that you're not going in injured and that's when we get to that you know the slack in the system is if you can show up at the race and just be healthy from mm-hmm. a baseline you know again strong pretty consistent on your bike, your bike's all set up and not broken. Um, you know, you have a plan, you have all this stuff to me, that's like, you're fit for the task and now like go. And then, you know, we'll see what happens once you get into it. But if it's, if you're starting niggles, crappy bike, you know, haven't been training, you know, and, and it's was the reason you weren't training because, you know, it had to be five hours of riding every day versus, you know, thirty was, that was, minutes that in was the, the problem. Yeah.
2: Yeah. My, my mindset at the time was like, Oh, we have a baby, my mother-in-law is here. I'm going to have so much time to go ride my bike, but then I didn't really plan my schedule. So I only get out for big rides once every week or so, but I wasn't doing the small rides. And I think that's where I was losing it was I wasn't getting out for the interval training and just to build a bit of strength and speed
1: and power. Yeah, which which all counts, right? And this is the thing is, you know, how much do we actually need to get a stimulus in the system? And that's, mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, often a lot less than folks, folks need.
2: Yeah, I think you just just getting out there and being out there, like you said, 90% of the time is showing up, I think mm-hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a big training ride or a big intervals ride, but just getting out there and being active and try to do, and even if it's not, you know, you don't have a plan, you could just say, okay, I'm going to do some little sprints, you know, and with a rest in between, and mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know, next time I'll do longer sprints, and if it's rest in between.
1: Yeah. And that idea, that's where I really love that idea of the thresholds, you know, or the, you know, just you have your endurance, your all day pace, and then there's say threshold over that, or say VO two over that, or sprint over that, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your max deadlift over that maybe, you know, a lot of that stuff, if we just keep working on those, you know, the, the all day pace sort of comes along for the ride. I think the long rides are important. And so again, periodically every two weeks, every 10 days, every month, whatever, I think for the bike packers, it is probably important to do a bit of that button seat time. Um, but I, I don't think it has to be a, you know, three times a week or or something no, like that. No, for sure. Yeah.
2: How important is, um, I know, like, one of the big things that you you push is the maximum heart rate. And, you know, rather than focusing on power, because I don't have a power meter, and lots of people don't, um, the the maximum percentage of maximum heart rate, and you you've kind of, Drive into through your program that you know a lot of your time should be below seventy five percent. Why is that important? And I mean, I know when I raced triathlon and stuff uh, as an amateur for sure in Malaysia, um, a lot of my training rides. I would if I had time to go for a forty k ride, I was riding it as hard as I could. If I was going out with uh, friends on a in Malaysian their weekend was Friday Saturday. If I was going out for a Friday morning ride, we were going to do sixty or hundred k. We pushed it to you know. Uh, there was never an easy ride. Why is it so important? And why is it something you push so much to have these easier paced rides?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's the third tenet, isn't it? Um, it's just not pushing to that limit all the time. And so, you know, some people are familiar with that polarized concept. Um, you know, the idea that sort of 80% of our time is very easy. Um, Steven Seiler has a great podcast or sorry, a great TED talk, I should say, about sort of this idea of of most of the training being easier. This is how most of the you know best in the world train. Um, the, the, short answer I think is that like, if it's miserable all the time, it's not going to be as fun. Um, the long answer is, is that, you know, we want that endurance system to build because that's the base of most of the cycling disciplines, even the short ones, what we would consider short have a big, big aerobic component to it. So we're trying to train that aerobic system, that all day pace that you could call it fat burning. If you want, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, but that under aerobic threshold or under about 75% of max heart rate, um, it's about under 75 percent of uh, threshold power if you're into power. Um, we're just working on that. And then what that should let us do is go quite hard, you know, quite focused. Sometimes I talk about focus instead of the actual intensity. The, the other you know day or two or you know, for my youngsters, it's it's more like three days they can go really hard in the week. but we only have so many days where we can go hard now if you try and go hard every day then it ends up being moderate every day right we regress to the mean so that's where we end up with these not super training stimuli uh and then also stressful rides in terms of just like it's spun up the central nervous system a bit so the the idea is that that it becomes hard to recover immunity gets affected you know potentially just the the consistency over time just ideally isn't you know isn't probably as good as we would like so that's, that's some ideas, I guess, why you might ride 75%. And, and, I,
2: and maybe also riding a little bit easier paced also helps you avoid injury, right? So if you're riding hard every day, you're probably more prone to straining a muscle, straining ligaments, Achilles or
1: anything, right? Well, that's it. Yeah, it's just any of these loads. And again, that's where, you know, when you sort of go, is the line exactly at 75% for everyone? No, of course not, right? Like I have uh, a lot of the, my, you know, the bike packer and, and elite gravel riders I work with, like, it's probably a bit higher than that. Uh, and we triangulate this with feeling, you know, this is the talk test, this is the, you know, it just isn't pushing. Um, and, 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 you know, we can also triangulate with power, a lot of them know, you know, about what the power zones are, right? But we, we, we try and ride at this sub-maximal pace most of the time um, just because that's what <laughs> what cycling is, right? It's just this aerobic aerobic skill. Yeah, especially
2: I, in bikepacking. I mean, you, you really have to be able to just, you know, I mean, you're never pushing it extremely, extremely hard, um, you know, like you would road racing. Uh, it's always just a constant, you know? Uh, so people ask, how do you ride all day? It's like, well, it's not difficult to ride all day you just have to be on your bike. You know, that's the, that's the only thing mm-hmm. it's just a matter of turning your legs and not stopping.
1: And and I will and, say, you know, when, when folks are new, you know, if they're, they're more on the, you know, they haven't done a lot of cycling training, their fitness, you know, from a physiology perspective, their cycling fitness is not that high. So they don't push that much power. What you'll find is that your heart rate is is quite high, you know, so it's very hard to pedal a bike or a run you yeah. know, it, running's more obvious. Like you have to walk to stay under 75%. So There's always this push and pull of, well, I want to run, but you're telling me to walk Um, or, you know, you want to ride faster, but I'm telling you to ride slower. Uh, So there's always this push and pull of like, how do you get to the point? You know, do you do you care when you start? So what I usually tell uh, new riders is it doesn't matter so much for them. Um, you know, I think they want to feel like the ride is not like a vomit pace or, and that it's miserable pace all the time. I think that's still true. The feeling matters, but I say their focus is frequency. So until you're riding, you know, five and six days a week, um, the, the frequency piece is probably the more important piece and just not so much that you can't ride the next day is is probably the, so we'll get tied up where everyone rides at 80%. And I, I don't know that it matters so much for the, the newer riders, um, until they're riding a bit more. And what should happen is as you ride more then your heart rate generally will start trending down for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons as you, you know, quote unquote, get fitter.
2: Yeah. As I remember when I was at my, my fittest, um, I think my rest, resting heart rate rate, uh, I can't speak. My resting heart rate was around 53 beats a minute. Like it was really low. And you know, I was blown away that it could be that low. Um, but now it's definitely a little bit higher. I'm not at my fitness, a fittest. I'm, probably around 87 kilos, like 190 or 192 pounds. People are always surprised. They say you don't look it. And I said, yeah, but it's probably a lot of muscle mass too, like in the legs and Mm -hmm. glutes and stuff. Um, I know when I raced, like I did some Xterra while I lived in Sweden in 2016. And I had this great opportunity to do three duathlons, one every month, exactly four weeks apart. And I was doing a kind of like the, you know, chicken and fish and broccoli or greens diet. Uh, with carb loading every fourth day, and which was pretty plain crappy rice. But um, I felt that when I hit around 78 kilograms, I was really fit. I was fast. I was strong. I was powerful. 78 is what? One, because we're North Americans, right? I shouldn't know that. Um, 78 is what? 156, 166, 172 pounds. And so I felt when I was at that weight, 172, I was really strong and powerful. And but when I went down to about 73 kilos, so about 10 pounds less, all of a sudden I was like, I was weak. I was, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do things. I was I just didn't have the power. Um, now being the weight I am, what are some things I can do to get back down to that without going on this fish and fish and chicken diet? Uh which is like a bodybuilder's diet, my old house. Yeah. Was.
1: And this gets I like this discussion of, you know, the the weight. It's something I really have never focused on too much with anyone I work with okay um you know power to weight is not something you know until Zwift came around and we were trying to put all our kids on Zwift and tell them how much they weighed like I I have I think there's an issue with some of this right but that's an aside I don't want to get too far down there but so we want to focus on fitness is not weight weight is not fitness um you know so we do want to focus on a, the power side of things, I think is a healthy thing to focus on is not the power to wait, but the actual power you're pushing. Cause a lot of people, when we look at that, this gets back to that 75%. If the power you push at 75%, the test I give is, you know, you warm up very, very gradually. Some people don't have to warm up much because the second they start moving, they're at 75%. -hmm. So they can press lap and and start recording. I want to know the power. Or if you're just, you know, a bike packer and you have a nice rail trail that's out and back, you could maybe ride 15 or 16 minutes out. And then, you know, 15 or 16 minutes back. And then I want you to tell me how far or, or what the pace was, what the the power was under 75%. Now, a lot of people will find that it's not a, a very high number. Um, you know, my elites, they're going to be up in like 250, 260, 270 watts. That might not mean a lot, but that's like 35 kilometers an hour or so. Um, you know, even on a gravel bike, probably, right? They, they're moving. Um, and this mm-hmm. is their all day pace. Um, and that's the difference, right? A lot of clients when they come to me are... Uh, men, maybe like a 150, 160 watts. Um, and then women, maybe like, you know, 100 watts. But then again, I have women who are up at, you know, 150, 160. Uh, you know, the, the rough thing to sort of watch for women would be that their the heart rate started to get closer to what the power is, if that makes sense. So the what we, okay. we call efficient, this is very technical, but the efficiency factor is getting towards one uh, or over one men, you know, you're going to start seeing it go up towards 1.5 or so. And that's just the heart rate divided by the the power, so to speak. Um, All that to say, I want to see the power increase. And a lot of people can see the power increase and then the work capacity increases. So we could extend that then to strength training too, is can you lift, are you lifting 10 pound weights and and complaining about weight, you know, your body weight, I Mm -hmm. should say, your mass. Can we try and increase the weight that you're lifting too in, in that capacity. So uh, that's where I like to focus the discussion. You know, certainly we can talk about some basics around, you know, broccoli is good. This is good. Um, we use the precision nutrition checklist of, you know, you're eating a couple, you know, three meals usually a day and they have protein, vegetables, carbohydrate, fat, and then are you eating slowly? So not in a car, not, you know, a random smoothie or, or yeah, something. I grew like, up in
2: a military family. So people are always like, how do you eat so fast? And I'm like, yeah. man, I tried to eat slow. It's just, impossibly higher. So there's usually a
1: few levers there, right? Like we're having Cheerios for breakfast or just oatmeal is like a classic cyclist thing, but okay, well that didn't have all those checklist items, right? So how do we find mm -hmm. some, some, maybe some blueberries, maybe some chia seeds, maybe eggs on the side, whatever, right? And now we have protein, veggies, fat, um, carbs, and and so on. It it doesn't sound very complex, but I I think that's, you know, that's our basic thing. And that's where we start from because a lot of people can see progress if they just edge that way. And probably Uh,
2: if, if you get those you know, four categories into you in breakfast time and at supper time and all, all times, uh, It's that one more thing
1: that will stop you from grabbing a bag of chips or eating chocolate. um, And this is what we see is the the fasting or whatever. I think all these things are things that are possible. And I've seen work in some cases, but more often than not, you know, the fasting, that's what it results in is, you know, just really poor choices later, poor energy, less weight lifted, poor frequency, injury, Mm. illness, you know, and then in a month, are you doing it right? Sometimes when we zoom out and we think, can we do this, you know, for 10 years, 20 years, uh, that's that's yeah. also the question right is you know well, what's the plan after today or this you know january fasting uh, experiment so again i'm a bike coach so i always come back to you know have you pushed the power and the frequency and the the you know are you doing the weekly long ride is there you know are there some levers we can pull there um the other thing that you know this is the story i tell is about my mountain biking i always i i've been light my, my life i guess that's like you know i've been privileged that i'm i'm a smaller person But a coach just recently was, it was for coaches, this like webinar I was on and he was like, yeah, so in, um, he's worked with a lot of high level people. And he said, so you can't be a professional mountain biker at the top. If you're, uh, I can't remember what it was, 67 kilos, you had to be like over 67 or 68 kilos. And like, I always was under 65 and (laughs) I was like, well, that's what I tried to do for 20 years was be a professional. And I was like, why did no one ever tell me this? Like, I just should have been deadlifting and eating more. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the problem is that in that discipline, if you don't go very hard, the absolute power, if you can't hit whatever it is, a thousand watts, and then for three minutes, you hold 600 watts, and then you do it repeatedly, you know, for for 90 minutes, then you're just not in the race, right? And especially the start is very important. Mm. In, In triathlon, you know, you have to swim fast. And if you don't have upper body, you know, if you're just a little tiny cyclist, you're not going to keep up in the swim and then you're not going to be probably in the lead. There's a little bit more room to pace. And and, I was always really good at
2: the swim and the bike, but the run was what killed me. Like I was just never a runner. So,
1: right. And so then you get into, this is the other piece with then the bike packing and, and the late in the triathlon is, are you resilient enough to not get sick, to not break down, to not, you know, to have the resources on you. Um, so I would say bikepacking to me, you want to go in, not again, you want to be healthy. So if, if you're carrying extra body fat, then this is a piece, uh, and you can get, you know, some people need to go and, and you know, talk with a nutritionist and, and get help with that. Um, if, if, you know, if that's their goal, but for, I think it's okay, you know, to think about bikepacking as something that you need to have resilience for and to be like hardy, mm-hmm. hardy even, right. We don't want to be super, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you don't want to be injured going in. You don't want to be, uh, super depleted going into these events right, either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big, yeah, so topic. for me
2: personally, it's uh, definitely some. I'm, I'm definitely trying well, I mean, the last couple months seem to have been a lot more snacking and get togethers and stuff, you know, so it's really tough. Um, and I hadn't had the willpower to just not eat or drink. Um, so moving into the new year, I used to be like every other person where I'm going to, I'm going to not drink beer. And, I think beer is probably one of the worst things cuz it's so easy to that sure. beer belly and it's just, and that's, it's, it's bloating, right?
1: So Yeah, that's where to start the nutrition thing is like what are you doing right now? And then how, you know, Greg Layman is a physio chiro that we really like and and he's not a nutritionist but he asks, you know, when someone's in chronic pain, they have back pain, is how can you be healthier? Not just, you know, what exercises can you do for your back, but because pain is multifactorial, just like your bikepacking event is multifactorial. Mm-hmm. Weight loss, multifactorial, you know, your sleep, your nutrition, your socializing, your stress, uh, nutrition. I don't think I said, or no exercise is what I missed in that, uh, your movement throughout the day. We'll call it movement, not exercise. There's a lot of levers you can pull. So if you ask someone, you know, how could you be just a little bit healthier and you say, well, I'm having two beers a day and I'm going to try and drop down to one on a Saturday after the big ride or with the big game on the weekend. That's probably (laughs) right. I've seen a lot of men drop. That's, that's it probably. (laughs) if that's a lever you can pull yeah. and that saves you know everything else just keep it like you're doing fine probably but can you find you know when i say how could you be just a titch healthier if there's something that comes to mind that's probably the one to start with
2: yeah so my my goal here moving into the new year because i do want to be in a better place next year for for events and stuff and um it's, you know i i actually just listened to a um i think it was a podcast where lionel sanders was uh talking about his own racing career and how he, you know, people aren't scared of him anymore as a, as a world-class triathlete and this and that. And then is it Lionel Sanders? I think so. Right. Um, from Southern Ontario.
1: Yeah. He's pretty extreme. I would say he's like that. And, and he was like,
2: know. I'm fucking pissed. I'm pissed. I'm not like, this is, I got to be angry. I got to get back into this and dedicate myself. And I mean, I'm not like him that extreme, but I think, last year disappointed me in some ways with when it came to events and the way I cycled. And so this year, I'm just kind of trying to keep those goals in mind more, be more aware and, uh, you know, show up and be healthier, maybe not as much beer, not as much chips, things like that, things that, you know, are so accessible sometimes um, and try to eat healthier. So I guess uh,
1: we'll see how that goes. I love it. Well, I need to drop here, um, but this has been yeah, a wide-ranging conversation. I appreciate your time. I do appreciate your time as well. I think there's a, an issue with some of this, right? but that's an aside. I don't want to get too far down there. Sure. But So we want to focus on fitness is not weight. Weight is not okay. fitness. Um, you know, So we do want to focus on... A, the power side of things, I think is a healthy thing to focus on is not the power to wait, but the actual power you're pushing. Because a lot of people, when we look at that, this gets back to that 75%. If the power you push at 75%, the test I give is, you know, you warm up very, very gradually. Some people don't have to warm up much because the second they start moving, they're at 75%. -hmm. So they can press lap and and start recording. I want to know the power. Or if you're just, you know, a bike packer and you have a nice rail trail that's out and back, you could maybe ride 15 or 16 minutes out. And then, you know, 15 or 16 minutes back. And then I want you to tell me how far or or what the pace was, what the the power was under 75%. Now, a lot of people will find that it's not a a very high number. Um, You know, my elites, they're going to be up in like 250, 260, 270 watts. That might not mean a lot, but that's like 35 kilometers an hour or so. Um, You know, even on a gravel bike, probably, right? They're moving. Um, And this Mm -hmm. is their all day pace. Um, And that's the difference, right? A lot of clients when they come to me are, uh, men, maybe like a 150, 160 watts. Um, and then women, maybe like, you know, 100 watts. But then again, I have women who are up at, you know, 150, 160. Uh, you know, the, the rough thing to sort of watch for women would be that their the heart rate started to get closer to what the power is, if that makes sense. So the, what we, okay. we call efficient, this is very technical, but the efficiency factor is getting towards one uh, or over one men, you know, you're going to start seeing it go up towards 1.5 or so. And that's just the heart rate divided by the the power, so to speak. Um, All that to say, I want to see the power increase. And a lot of people can see the power increase and then the work capacity increases. So we could extend that then to strength training too, is can you lift, are you lifting 10 pound weights and and complaining about weight, you know, your body weight, I Mm -hmm. should say, your mass. Can we try and increase the weight that you're lifting too in, in that capacity so uh, that's where i like to focus the discussion you know certainly we can talk about some basics around you know broccoli is good this is good um we use the precision nutrition checklist of you know you're eating a couple you know three meals usually a day and they have protein vegetables carbohydrate fat and then are you eating slowly so not in a car not you know a random smoothie or, or yeah something i grew like, up
2: in a military family so people are always like how do you eat so fast and i'm like yeah. man i try to eat slow it's just yeah, impossibly so, higher. So there's it's usually like,
1: a few levers there, right? Like we're having Cheerios for breakfast or just oatmeal is like a classic cyclist thing, but okay, well that didn't have all those checklist items, right? So how do we find mm-hmm. some, some, maybe some blueberries, maybe some chia seeds, maybe eggs on the side, whatever, right? And now we have protein, veggies, fat, um, carbs, and, and so on. It, it doesn't sound very complex, but I, I think that's, you know, that, that's our basic thing. And that's where we start from because a lot of people can see progress if they just edge that way. And probably um, if,
2: if you get those you know, four categories into you in breakfast time and at supper time and all, all times. Uh, it's that one more thing that will stop you from
1: grabbing a bag of chips or eating chocolate. Um, and this is what we see as the the fasting or whatever. I think all these things are things that are possible and I've seen work in some cases, but more often than not, you know, the fasting, that's what it results in is, you know, just really poor choices later, poor energy, less weight lifted, no, poor frequency, injury, mm. illness, you know, and then in a month, are you doing it, right? Sometimes when we zoom out and we think, can we do this, you know, for 10 years, 20 years, uh, that's, that's yeah. also the question, right? Is, you know, well, what's the plan after today or this, you know, January fasting uh, experiment? So... Again, I'm a bike coach, so I always come back to, you know, have you pushed the power and the frequency and the the, you know, are you doing the weekly long ride? Is there, you know, are there some levers we can pull there? Um, the other thing that, you know, this is the story I tell is about my mountain biking. I always I I've been light my, my life. I guess that's like, you know, I've been privileged that I'm I'm a smaller person. But a coach just recently was it was for coaches, this like webinar I was on, and he was like, Yeah, so in um he's worked with a lot of high-level people, and he said. So you can't be a professional mountain biker at the top if you're, uh, I can't remember what it was, 67 kilos. You had to be like over 67 or 68 kilos. And like, I always was under 65. And (laughs) I was like, well, that's what I tried to do for 20 years was be a professional. And I was like, why did no one ever tell me this? Like, I just should have been deadlifting and eating more, (laughs) right? And the problem is that in that discipline, if you don't go very hard, the absolute power, if you can't hit whatever it is, a thousand Watts. And then for three minutes, you hold 600 Watts and then you do it repeatedly, you know, for, for 90 minutes, then you're just not in the race. Right. And especially the start is very important Mm. in in triathlon. You know, you have to swim fast. And if you don't have upper body, you know, if you're just a little tiny cyclist, you're not going to keep up in the swim and then you're not going to be probably in the lead. There's a little bit more room to pace. And, and. I was always
2: really good at the swim and the bike, but the run was what killed me like i was just never a runner so
1: right and so then you get into this is the other piece with then the bike packing and and the late in the triathlon is are you resilient enough to not get sick to not break down to not you know to have the resources on you um so i would say bike packing to me you want to go in not again you want to be healthy so if, if you're carrying extra body fat then this is a piece uh, and you can get you know some people need to go and, and you know talk with a nutritionist and and get help with that um if, if you know if that's their goal, but for I think it's okay, you know, to think about bike packing is something that you need to have resilience for and to be like hardy, hardy even, right? We don't want to be super, uh, you know, uh sort of you don't want to be injured going in. You don't want to be uh super depleted going into these events right, either. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big yeah, so for me
2: personally. It's uh, definitely some. I'm I'll definitely trying. Well, I mean last couple months seem to have been a lot more snacking and get togethers and stuff you know so it's really tough um and I hadn't had the willpower to just not eat or drink um so moving into the new year I to be like every other person where I'm gonna I'm gonna not drink beer and I think beer is probably one of the worst things because it's so easy to that sure. beer belly and it's just, and that's it's it's bloating right so
1: yeah that's where to start the nutrition thing is like what are you doing right now And then, how you know, Greg Lehman is a physio chiro that we really like, and and he's not a nutritionist, but he asks, you know, when someone's in chronic pain, they have back pain, is how can you be healthier? Not just, you know, what exercises can you do for your back, but because pain is multifactorial, just like your bikepacking event is multifactorial, Mm -hmm. weight loss, multifactorial, you know, your sleep, your nutrition, your socializing, your stress. Uh, nutrition, I don't think I said, or no, exercise is what I missed in that, Uh, your movement throughout the day, we'll call it movement, not exercise. There's a lot of levers you can pull. So if you ask someone, you know, how could you be just a little bit healthier and you say, well, I'm having two beers a day and I'm going to try and drop down to one on a Saturday after the big ride or with the big game on the weekend. That's probably <laughs> right. I've seen a lot of men drop. You. That's, that's it. Probably <laughs> if that's a lever you can pull yeah. and that saves, you know, everything else, just keep it like you're doing fine, probably, but can you find, you know, when I say, how could you be just a titch healthier? If there's something that comes to mind, that's probably the one to start with.
2: Yeah. So my, my goal here moving into the new year, cause I do want to be in a better place next year for, for events and stuff. And, um, it's, you know, I, I actually just listened to it a, um, I think it was a podcast where Lionel Sanders was, uh, talking about his own racing career and how he, you know, people aren't scared of him anymore as a, as a world-class triathlete and this and that. And then is it Lionel Sanders? I think so. Right. Um, from Southern Ontario.
1: Yeah. He's pretty extreme. I would say he's
2: like, the, and, and he was you know, like, I'm fucking pissed. I'm pissed. I'm not like, this is, I gotta be angry. I gotta get back into this and dedicate myself. And I mean, I'm not like him that extreme, but I think last year disappointed me in some ways with when it came to events and the way I cycled. And so this year, I'm just kind of trying to keep those goals in mind more, be more aware and, uh, you know, show up and be healthier, maybe not as much beer, not as much chips, things like that, things that, you know, are so accessible sometimes um, and try to eat healthier. So I guess uh, we'll see how that goes.
1: I love it. Well, I need to drop here, but this has been yeah, a me wide-ranging too. conversation. I appreciate your time.
2: I do appreciate your time as well.
0: For in advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. At consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.